When that recording symbol comes on, it's not just a signal, it's a warning. Oh, I should have just done it right there. What's going on, everybody? <laughs> Welcome to Radio Mania, number 96, your nerdy pop culture podcast for everything entertainment and pop culture. I fucked that intro up. It's, it's been a while since we've done one of these episodes. I know. I, I thought I set you up beautifully. Like, I put that on the tee for you. Did. Just crank I, it. I just absolutely flubbed it. I flubbed it. You want to do it again? No, because then it won't have the same level of authenticity. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. Our our, uh, our mulligans are what makes the show so great. Yeah. yeah. It's, I remember the time I completely forgot the plot of Fast and Furious. <laughs> Too fast, <laughs> too furious. <laughs> well, quite possibly your your best heat check performance of all time. Yeah. Well, thank you all for tuning into this show. Uh, this is going to be a good episode. I can already feel it. Even though John said that he's on the verge of uh, the sheer death, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. we're, we're still going to provide you with top-notch entertainment and comedy. Um, like I said I at the feel top... As if- I had been hanging out in the rain-soaked streets of Matt Reeves Gotham for about 24 hours. Mm, mm, mm. That'll do it to you. It's been a long Halloween. Good one. Thanks. Uh, so yeah, if you've never listened to an episode of Radio Mania before, the, the premise is simple. Uh, John and I get together here uh, whenever we get the chance. Uh, we've been doing a lot of special podcasts recently, including... Um, you know, doing some Fast and Furious in-review shows... Um, ranking every comic book movie of all time, which we may or may yeah. not have to bring the list up for this episode. We're going to have to bring it up. Yeah. We're going to have Uncharted to bring up the review. list. <laughs> the yeah. Uncharted review. Yeah, that's right. Um, so it's been a, it's, it's a really fun show. Uh, but this week we've got a little bit of news, a little bit of recaps, what we've been up to. And then we are going to review the Batman. Uh, so the stick, Batman. stay tuned to the end of the show for um, it'll be our headline yeah, we're like the Oscars. We're going to make you wait till the end. Exactly. The very end. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but thank you for tuning in. You can uh, follow us at, at Zacritello, at Najatin Parker. Go to radiovania.com to catch up on all of our old episodes. And please subscribe and give us a five-star rating if you if you enjoy comedy. I mean, hell, we take four. Yeah, I'll take four and a half. Take four and three quarters. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then email the show, radiovaniashow at gmail.com with your questions, comments, topics, suggestions, and the like. Uh, Radiovania on most social medias, Radiovania Show on Instagram. Um, I think that just about covers all the logistical stuff. This week, we're sponsored by Vengeance. (laughs) (laughs) Sponsored by by Vengeance and the Carmine Falcone uh, Drops business. Yeah. Use the promo code Vania to get 50% off your next box of vengeance at vengeance.com. <laughs> vengeance sounds like, like for him's like a hair loss recovery system. <laughs> <It's just> like <laughs> extremely intense. <laughs> I was thinking it's a subscription box, but like it only provides you with tools to ruin other people's lives. So like, Jesus. <laughs> like uh, checks that you can forge fake IDs that uh, birth certificates um thumbtacks you know to put on chairs you know to put on someone's chair yeah yeah i like it whoopee Um, cushions whoopee cushions yeah uh smell pills or whatever they're called what are those what are those called stink bombs stink bombs (laughs) smell (laughs) pills (laughs) 
It's already off to a good start, ladies and gentlemen. So good. <laughs> All right. Well, Robin, uh, fetch me the smell pills. It's going to be a good show. Hey, uh, fun thing. Uh, I'm recording time codes uh, for the first time in a long time. Now that I've got oh, a little really? bit of free time on my hands, I'm going to go and we're just going to leave it at that. I'm going to, I'm recording time codes for the show. So I'm going to be editing into the description of the podcast. Hopefully this all works. I'm saying it right now because if I fuck up, then that sucks. But I'll be editing into the description of the podcast wherever you're watching it or listening to it. If you're on Spotify or Overcast or Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, you should be able to click to the time code that you want to jump to. So if you just want to jump through and listen to our uh, Batman review, like you can feel free to jump. Go ahead and do that. We encourage you to listen to the whole show because uh, I think that we're, we'll have some fun and insightful discussions along the way. But uh, that is going to be an option for listeners as well. I feel like it might make it easier for people to jump in and out if they want to. Maybe, you know, people that aren't as familiar with our three hour long bullshit podcast, they can just jump to the bat, the Batman if they so or desire. if they want to listen to one particular part on a re-listen. Exactly. Yeah. Right. If you're going through the back catalog, getting excited for episode 100, you know. Oh, the question, but, the real question is going to be, is episode 100 going to be really Batman heavy or really Last of Us heavy? Because it's going to be one of the two. I think it's no, I think it's going to have to be a fair amalgamation of all of our passions. Like it's going to so. be a little bit of everything. It's a true. It's going to have to be like a true variety show. Honestly, it just needs to be family feud. Honestly. <laughs> That would actually be really, really funny. You and I each bring our own team to Family Feud. That's a great get, idea. That would be really kind of hard to organize, Harvey. but I would love yeah. to do that. Yeah, it'd be hilarious. Oh, God, that would be such a good idea. Yeah, we got to <laughs> start planning. <laughs> <laughs> All if Abby didn't use a golf club, what item would she have used? We po- we asked the 100 single men. <laughs> we asked the 100 married would- men. <laughs> do they like Abby? <laughs> all right uh john what have you been up to man i mean besides the movies that we're going to talk about and the stuff that you know has been going on recently like have you been yeah, watching since, anything playing anything what have you been doing since our last main show and uncharted review i've just been finishing my finishing my batman movie rewatch leading up mm-hmm. to the release of the batman this past friday um so that's been really fun. I started with the Batman 89 and made my way all the way through to the Nolan movies. Um, I did not watch the Zack Snyder movies because I feel like I've seen those so many times in recent years. And I also did not watch every single animated entry, like all of those things on HBO Max, but I did watch Phantasm. Um, and then, yeah, just been reading reading my typical weekly bat comics and things as well as saga stuff like that and then uh, i've been playing a brand new game that came out for ps5 called uncharted a legacy of thieves it's <laughs> it's brand new i've never played it before you son it's of great. a bitch <laughs> <laughs> and it's been fantastic i highly recommend it uh are you going for the platinum in either uncharted 4 or legacy of thieves again you're not gonna no. do it no too much is just pull, the task. I don't want to pull my hair. I did it. You know what I mean? Like I already did it. Yeah. So. You lived it. I've lived it. But now I, when I you have... open up your trophy list, it's going to show an, as an empty platinum space where an uncharted game is. Naughty Dog's going to be disappointed with you, John. Give me a couple of years. And ask me again. <laughs> the Lost Legacy one's really easy. Um, that speed run and Uncharted 4, though, if that that's the hardest there, part, I would yeah. have already been working on it, honestly. 
That's the hardest part for sure. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Anything else besides those three things? I mean, did you, did you find anything interesting in your Batman rewatch? Did uh, Batman and Robin move up the ladder for you and where your rankings go? No, absolutely not. I, I only watched 20 minutes of it and then I had to turn it off. <laughs> I, um, so I guess I didn't technically rewatch all of them all the way through. Yeah. But, uh, let me see anything else. I guess I watched the finale of euphoria, but I haven't watched the rest of euphoria, but it's so you watch one single episode and you watched the last one. Mm-hmm. it's nice. good yeah i yeah. might have to go back and check it out okay just a lot of teens doing teenage stuff and drugs i hear there's a lot of drugs yeah it makes me feel like i was a loser in high school but i mean we did grow up surrounded by cornfields yeah that's a good point not a Los whole Angeles, lot of cocaine man, crazy in the cornfields cocaine cocaine just a lot of opiates at the y i guess <laughs> yeah at the old ymca yeah uh, okay what have you cool. been doing what have i been doing that's a great question a, a lot of stuff actually since our last episode it's been a packed month for for your boy uh yeah you've, you've had some big changes yes but we won't talk about those on the podcast <laughs> mm. just in case <laughs> i wasn't even hinting at that oh yeah really no. um so yeah uh first up horizon forbidden west the new playstation 5 rpg from gorilla the sequel to uh zero dawn that came out uh back in 2016 i believe so it's been a few years since their first one uh forbidden west is excellent i just literally about three hours ago finished the finished the main quest storyline um and i have a ton of shit left to clean up i really want to go for the platinum um, cause it seems relatively easy. It's, I think I might have five or six more hours if I'm just grinding for platinum stuff, but there's a lot of side quests that I actually want to go back and check out. Uh, I rolled credits for the main story at 26 hours. Um, pretty beefy. It's, it's pretty beefy. There's a ton of other shit though. That is like, the map is huge. Like there are certain parts of the map that I haven't even seen yet. Like certain parts of the map are just completely grayed out and like, there's icons. I don't even know what they are. There's a whole side missions and shit that I haven't seen yet. So it's a beefy game. There Could were you few... have tackled them before finishing the main story or some of it like say epilogue that... stuff? Say it again. Could you have tackled those before ending the main story? Yeah. Um, so it's calling Breath of the Wild. It's very open. I mean, it's a, it's a traditional RPG. Like if you want to follow the main quest storyline, like it's pretty and it goes right to like you're going to this place and to this place and this place and then this place and then you're you follow the main quest and it's the main story like the big story but like all the side quests are available from you right at the jump like no part of the map is locked out like when you open up the game like you just kind of are dropped into this story um and you can choose where you go what factions you talk to what quests you complete what weapons you want to upgrade what who what animals you want to hunt um it's a really great game um it's it's a really cool sci-fi narrative too like um i mean do you did you ever hear the the plot synopsis of horizon at all no so i mean like dinosaurs and shit right yeah here's the elevator pitch is all right this game takes place in like the three thousands or whatever and in the t- mid 2000s like 2050s or 2060s like humanity created all these like machines that were um it, it's like it's like post apocalyptic but it takes place in a universe in the world where 
it's like very primitive and there's all these tribes because there was a mass extinction in the world and you don't know why, uh, but there's all these me- mechanical dinosaurs that are like roaming the earth that are like, that have different purposes. Like some of them have purposes like pesticide. Some of them are just like attackers or defenders or burrowers, but it's like, it's a really cool concept. It's a very unique sci-fi concept. It's kind of like planet of the apes. Um, if the, if I could draw any comparison, but it's a fun yeah, game. That's pretty cool. It's a fun pretty game. Cool. Um, I've been reading Saga. I finished volume one. Um, I like it. I'm not in love with it yet. Uh, mm. It's still kind of growing on me. I don't know what's happening, and I don't know anybody's names except for Hazel. <laughs> so, <Okay. laughs> like, and you don't the know, will. You I know, don't know the her will. parents' name. I know the will. You know the will. Okay. Yeah. You don't know her parents' names. No. If you ask me, you ask me right now. I can't think of it. Nope. Marco and Alana. Does that Alana sound familiar at all? Okay. No. Uh, not really. Okay. A lot of characters, a lot of characters introduced and jumbled around in the plot. Yeah. There's like, it's, there's really no plot right now. It's just kind of like introducing you to this world and the various places in it. What the, yeah. there's kind of like a global. They're just or, on the run. They're on the run. Yeah. There's uh, their daughters like born Ill, Ill, like illegally, I guess, but it's very beautiful. It's a very beautifully drawn comic. It is very graphic. Like it might be the most yep. graphic graphic novel I've yeah. ever read in my entire life. Like it's awesome. One of the last issues of volume one is they like the the will goes to like this like porno planet. Yep. And it's like sextillion. Sextillion. <laughs> it is <laughs> the most graphic thing I've ever read. Like it was like it's like smut. And here I am reading this in like a coffee shop and I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> turn the brightness all the way down on the iPad there. It's art. I would just display it proudly. <laughs> um, I rewatched the Matt Reeves Planet of the Apes movies in anticipation of the Batman. Um, so I watched Dawn and War for the Planet of the Apes. And man, just reaffirmed for me, those fucking movies are just so good. Like the, that Planet of the Apes trilogy is so underrated. Maybe one of the best sci-fi trilogies of all time. I would say it's one of the best trilogies in general. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. Um, just got finished watching the Netflix series archive 81. Have you heard of this thing? Yeah, I actually watched some of this. I think, is this the one with the apartment complex? Yes. That like burned down and there's like cults and stuff. Yeah. So I watched how many episodes are there? I think there's like eight. I think I watched the last six. So I never saw how it started, but I got sucked in one day. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's okay. Like, um, kind of reminds me of like a Stephen King yes. type deal. It feels very Shining, kind of meets Stranger Things is kind of the vibe. Yeah. Um, I don't like the lead guy. No, at but all. the bottle episode in the twenties is really sick. Really cool. Yeah, I like the yeah. the opposite side. Like, whenever whenever they're doing modern day stuff, I'm like, I could barely care at all. Like, but when they flash back and they do the like, he's looking through the tapes. Like, it's like a murder mystery kind of, or like a mystery cult mystery. The the other side of that story, the stuff that's taking place in the 90s in New York City is way yeah. more interesting. Like very cool. And that actress is way better than like I don't know where they got this guy from. I don't know. I haven't seen anything else that he's in, but he's just like so stiff and not engaging. He's not a good lead at all. Like I don't, I don't I don't like him at all. But beyond that, the show itself is cool. It's definitely worth a watch. It's not like 
it didn't explode my mind, but it's very, I don't know. I don't know. It was cool. But you said you saw the end of it. So mm-hmm. clearly teasing a second season, it's not getting yeah. like a whole lot of attention. So I'm curious to know if they do give it a second season or not. It, it's, it's getting nah. critically reviewed very well. I think it's at like a 70 or 80 on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but like didn't get its hooks in people like Stranger Things. And if we've learned anything from Cowboy Bebop, if Netflix doesn't find it a dramatic success that they can get three or four seasons out of, they're just gonna give up. They're yeah. just gonna abort that thing. But we'll see. Yep. Um, and then the last thing was I finally saw West Side Story. I've been trying to. I'm gonna slowly try and watch all the Oscar Best Picture movies, and this is the the most recent one that I was able to chip away at. Did you like it? It is okay. Who won? The Sharks or the Jets? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, love wins, John. Love wins. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Until it gets shot uh, in the street, which is spoilers. Well, spoilers for a, a the thing that came out in the eighties, yeah. <laughs> and then the thing that came out in the, like the twelfth, the twelfth century. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's it's totally fine. It, it is beautifully shot, beautifully made, and well. Spielberg crafted. back. Spielberg is is uh, just as good as ever. The movie looks good. The performances are good all around. It's just. I've seen this story. What's your top three Spielberg? Go without even thinking about it. I don't know. Indiana Jones, one, two, and three. Wow. Okay. I no mean, what else did Spielberg there. do? Schindler's List? Jaws, E.T., Schindler's List, Close Encounters. You haven't named one Raven thing Cry that I would Ryan. put over any of the Indiana Jones movies yet. You don't think Jaws is better than some of the other Indiana Jones movies? Are you better out than on four. Jaws? Better than four. Are you out on Jaws? That's not, man. It's fine. <gasps> it's overrated. That is a terrible movie take. <laughs> I understand your. When was the last one. time you watched Jaws? Like three months ago. Really? I love that movie. Yeah. So does most of America. It's so. It's just very dull, and I don't know. I just don't. I, my, the shark is swimming with movie. bow-legged women. Yeah, Indy one, two, and three. Okay. Best Spielberg movies right there. E.T. is great. Yeah. I'm being, I'm being, I'm hamming it up for the audience, but yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's playing stubborn Zach already. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to poke at you so that you get more, get more into the show. You're trying to turn me into Batman. I'm trying to turn you into vengeance. Yeah. Vengeance. Um, but that's it. That's all I've been doing. It's a lot, but I tried to keep it as concise as possible. Um, Yeah. West side story. It, it's okay. It's, it's just it's i've seen this movie before like yeah i don't know like he didn't do enough different that i think it you need to see it like it's not even just that you have to rush out to theaters to see it it's like i don't even know if you need to watch this movie like he didn't do enough to separate it or like change anything drastically enough that it's like i mean if you've ever heard the musical if you've ever seen the original like the, the movie that came out like in the i think it was like the late 90s right or the early 2000s or something like that like You've seen West Side Story. It, I, I, it's really just I think it got nominated for a Best Picture award because of the craft of the filmmaking. That's really I think the this only is reason. more. This is one of those like legacy nomination things. Sure. That I hate. Absolutely hate when they do that. Yeah, I understand. He's already been nominated and won multiple times. Just because he's still making movies doesn't mean we have to give him a cookie. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right, John. It's time to go. <laughs> to 
of land far away where filled with Barry Allens and Batman 89s. That's right. You could travel to any world <laughs> and any time. Why'd you come to this? It's the new yeah, flashpoint. Doing... That's right. So our first one is actually pretty serious. Um, yeah. Uh, just a little bit of something that we haven't really talked about on the show, but um, starting on February 24th of this year, Russia uh, began their invasion of the nation of Ukraine, which is um, one of the largest escalations in the Russia-Ukrainian war that's been going on for a long, long time. But without this particular level of aggression, um, really sad, really, really screwed up. But we, we at Radiovania support the Ukraine. Um, so please do your best to kind of stay up to date on information about that as well as helping particularly when you can, whether that's boycotting something from Russia or sending relief, as I know the United States is doing um, without necessarily getting involved on the military end. But in terms of entertainment, uh, Netflix is the first to strike against the nation of Russia. Um, They are declining to carry Russian propaganda channels. Can you kind of explain real quick, Zach, what these um, propaganda channels, because I don't necessarily understand does Netflix yeah. broadcast TV for Russia? Is that my understanding of this? So here's basically here's basically the gist of it is that like and I you know I should I could have been a little bit clearer with the blurb writing it down here, but so Netflix Netflix got into a deal with Russia for the distribution of their platform in, in the country of Russia. Correct. That in addition to the fact that they would be broadcasting their service in that country. They would also be legally required based on their contract or whatever to show these channels. Like, So that's uh, what I'm wondering is, is it like a, it's an actual TV service there, not just a streaming service. It says it 20 like, must carry free to air Russian news, sports and entertainment TV channels. So I'm not sure right. if Netflix is showing live TV, but it's channels that they could theoretically keep active, updated information. Basically it's just, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything that is available in Russia that are those specific Russian channels are propaganda, but they could right. be, um, right. especially the news oriented ones. Like it's, no, yeah. but, but you're going to have like interwoven stuff into all this stuff, subliminal advertising, messaging, whatever you want to call it. Like it's so in addition to just the fact that they're cutting off the service there, they're also just saying like, we're voiding this contract and we're, we're, basically just yeah backing out of this agreement which is you know has serious implications for netflix they're, they're probably going to lose a lot of money for this but i mean they are i mean obviously it goes without saying but russia's russia's a very large nation i also right. think that the, this could be a trendsetter for several other definitely streaming services and tv providers that are not based in russia um yeah. pretty fascinating to take a stand in that direction but yeah yeah, yeah, there's as, some big right giants now, that it's... haven't like caved yet. So it's like people yeah. are pressuring things like people are pressuring services like YouTube and Twitch and Smirnoff. Well, products like that, sure, as well. <laughs> but like also uh, PlayStation and Xbox, people have been yeah. like, there's been a social push to get these companies to kind of like also follow suit with this and like putting entertainment sanctions out just to not only just for like to show support, but also to like 
restrict as many people from getting online and spreading misinformation or hurtful information. Right. Um, well, also just services, like, you know, quote unquote, basic human entertainment as well. Like uh, Pornhub, you know, this is not safe for work content here, sure. but Pornhub pretty much made it so that if you tried to log in from an IP address in Russia, a yeah. Ukrainian flag popped up and you were not allowed access to the website, which is just such a metal move by, by the Pornhub company. So, yeah, I, I mean, and again, like, we don't want to get radio Vania is a, is a pop culture podcast. John and I are not political uh, uh, scholars, but it's also, it's funny to me because like, yeah, Pornhub is often like a championer of those kinds of like initiatives, like social and progressive issues and stuff like that. And then this is the first time where they've gotten into something inherently like geopolitical, like globally political. Oh yeah. But at the yeah. same time, you know, Pornhub has had its fair share of, allegations (laughs) issues so i mean listen this that's not necessarily an industry that i (laughs) want to be leading the flag but i just it's just a point of interest exactly yeah it is a big point of interest especially because that's like the i mean that's the number one traffic driver on the world wide web not just the united states not just you know europe the world it is you know adult video content (laughs) that's like the number one wet like traffic on the on the entire internet probably so yeah. I feel like I remember learning about that in uh, college. <laughs> Did you learn about Pornhub in college? <laughs> <I did. laughs> I'm a minor. <laughs> so, yeah, tell me about that uh, that scholastic achievement of yours. Yeah. Um, speaking of adult content, uh, Jason Momoa is officially playing the villain <laughs> in Fast and Furious 10. <laughs> that was a good um, transition. Thanks, thanks. While talking to entertainment tonight about his upcoming projects, Momoa did confirm his role in Fast 10, stating it is, quote, fun to get to play the bad guy, which I haven't gotten to do for a while. Now I get to be the bad boy, a very flamboyant bad boy. Little panache! Exclamation point. And then he probably threw a chair and was like, oh, yeah. And then he bench pressed <laughs> the reporter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My man. Um, yeah, so this was speculated a while back when we were talking yeah. about this on the show, but this is officially confirmed. So, Zach, what are your thoughts? I know you love Momoa. Love it. I mean, I don't, I like Momoa. Jason Momoa has a very specific range, and it's about finding people that can utilize that very specific range. Um, yeah, and I think the Fast franchise is perfectly with perfect. That, that range. It is absolutely perfect for a guy like that. Like, uh, my Doom hope is also that- weirdly in his range for some reason. I don't know how, but I thought he was really good. In what? In what? Say Dune. Oh, Dune. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I keep forgetting that he's in Dune. I, he was one of my favorite parts of that movie too, because he was actually he was a more serious role, but he had some like cut to him. Like, he's the only person in that movie that is funny, arguably. Yeah, he he delivers the only really bits of levity and like the little bits of like humor, but like he it's done in a much more subtle, grounded way. Like he's a he would be like a funny character in like a he'd be like the funny character in like a, a more serious David Fincher movie or something like that, where it's like, yeah, it's not a laugh out loud riot, but like, he's still humorous and engaging. Um, so yeah, I think that the fast franchise is perfect for a guy like this. A, he looks great on screen, no matter what role he's in, no matter how much I hate him, i.e. Aquaman, he's a giant beefcake. He's, he's gigantic. So like watching him face off against, um, 
Vin Diesel is just going to be fun to watch inherently. Um, my hope, and not to give too much away because I want to watch Fast 9 um, with you when we get to that point in our Fast Cast. Right. Um, but I'm going to slight, I'm not going to spoil anything. This is not like, a, this isn't spoilers. But uh, uh, who's Peacemaker? John Cena. <laughs> John Cena. John Cena is in Fast Nine. You knew that, right? Right. He's his brother. Okay. So, uh, John Cena in Fast Nine is not John Cena in Peacemaker. It is John Cena playing a very serious character with very little humor. And I don't mm, like that. That's one of my only negative nitpicks of Fast Nine is that they could, they should. John, John Cena is a comedic actor, like yeah, Suicide Squad, Peacemaker, all of the movies that I've seen him in that I've really laughed at. Like he's a funny comedic actor. Like he's not like a serious dramatic lead. And my hope is that they don't try and do the same thing with Jason Momoa in Fast Ten. I think I hope they let him be goofy, like be be Jason Momoa, like. I thought that they made I thought that they made John Cena be a completely different person and it didn't work super well. Yeah. But okay. I'm really, really hoping that um I'm really, really hoping that he's related to somebody and I don't know who it, but maybe he's Letty. Like, yeah, maybe <laughs> Letty's older brother. Like Letty's older brother, yeah. Letty, my girl. My girl. <laughs> yeah, that would be really, really good too. I think it would be. I think it would be the funniest if it was Jason Momoa's Vin Diesel's son from the future that time travels back or something to like warn the group of like the doom that's coming or something like that. Or warn them of Steppenwolf <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Steppenwolf. Oh my God. But it'd be in. cool if uh, Giselle comes back from the dead and they can uh, interact together. That'd be very cool. Yeah. That would be very, very cool. Well, I am excited awesome about shot. this casting oh as well. I'm a big Momoa fan. I love how ridiculous he is, including as the Aquaman. Um, <laughs> the Aquaman. I don't understand the quote where he says that he hasn't got to play a villain in a while. I don't remember him ever playing a villain, unless he's counting Cal Drogo. I think he's counting Cal Drogo. That doesn't count as a villain, though. I mean, he literally he's gets set up as a villain. He gets pussy whipped in like two episodes. <laughs> Sure, but he is set up as like a a leader of a group of people that aren't necessarily good people. Oh, I disagree. I think the Dothraki are on the right side of history. <laughs> the stallion that mounts the world, baby. Let's go. <laughs> I think that's just what you wish that you were. I think that you wish the that stallion that, that mounts the world. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna start calling you that. <laughs> Please do. I'll Yo, what's it. up, stallion that mounts the world? <laughs> Say that in the club. Um, this next news story, I'm particularly excited to talk to you about for a specific reason. Um, okay. and I think you might be a little mad at me, but no, that's okay. I am legend. Uh, the next chapter, Will Smith and Michael B. Jordan will be starring and producing together for the first time. Uh, Avika Goldsman is back to write. Now, this is an adaption of a book, right? I am legend. Is I am legend a book? I don't know. Um, I'll find read you a little bit about this. Warner Brothers is upping the stakes on its I Am Legend franchise uh, to a stratospheric level. For its next chapter, the studio is bringing back not only the original star Will Smith, but also Black Panther actor Michael B. Jordan. 
in what will um, be the duo's first big movie together as stars and producers. There is no director attached. So here's my hot take. I've never seen I Am Legend. Are you serious? Really? Really. Is there a reason why or has it just avoided no, I just you? missed it? Just missed it. Wow, that's a reason. John. That's a John Parker ass movie, man. That's a zombie movie, right? It well, it's like a post apocalyptic zombie ish movie. I mean, they're not like zombie creatures specifically, but they have like zombie yeah. qualities. But it's very, uh, it is very Last of Us. Um, but it's Will. I mean, you like Will Smith, right? Love him. Yeah, it's Will Smith in West Philadelphia. Yeah. Born <laughs> <laughs> I spend most of my days. It might be the last Will Smith performance that I really enjoyed. Um, mm, really? Yeah, it's was a really well-made like movie. 2006. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, I've not really liked anything that he's done recently. So you don't um, like him as a as a Floyd Lawton? I don't know. What, oh no, no, that movie was ass. <laughs> you said that, and I was like, "Who was that?" I was like, "Y'all." I was really worried. I didn't know crazy. that he was like, Floyd Lawton. Is his name? Mm-hmm. Okay, for a second, you said that, and I was like, oh, my God, he's talking about a really famous historical figure that I'm going to sound like a dumbass for not knowing, like a social like a social <laughs> justice character, like a like a show, like a a civil rights leader or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's I was what like, I, I live for, is was. trying to trip you up. Yeah. Fucking dead shot. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. No way. Um, what about... Um, I still haven't seen King movie? Richard. That's on my list of Oscars. I was Oscar going to say, what about dates. that movie where he fights his younger self? You ever see that? What? Oh, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to say After Earth, but that's the movie that After is Jaden Smith. Jayden, right? Yeah. That movie's terrible. Have you ever seen that movie? Unfortunately. It's a piece yeah. of shit, dude. That movie sucks. Um, that might be one of the worst movies of all time. Maybe top 10 worst movies of all time. Listen, um, Will Smith doesn't always have some winners, but when it comes down to it, he's got some 90s, like A plus tier blockbusters in his pocket sure. that he can just carry forever. Bad Boys, Bad Boys 2, Bad Boys for Life, Wild Independence Wild West, Day. Independence Day. Yeah. Men in Black. Men in Black. All three of them. I loved all three that, Men in Black. That movies. first Men in Black movie is still one of my favorites from like the late 90s. We should do like a late 90s podcast sometime where we just talk about yeah. like really bad movies that we love. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, good shit. Good shit. Well, are you excited about this then? Because you've uh, obviously seen Sure. Here, here's the interesting thing. Michael B. That- Jordan interests me. Yeah, Michael B. Jordan interests me. I, I, I mean, I do like Will Smith when he's utilized well. Um, here's the, here's the thing, and I did look it up. It was based on a book. It was like a really old book, actually. I am legend. Um, here's the thing: is that the interesting part about this? I don't really want to talk about because it's a spoiler related to how the movie ends. Like, do you know how the movie ends? Not really. I also don't really care. <laughs> but it's a good movie. Like, it's a movie that you should legitimately see. Here's, here's what I'll say: is that the movie ends completely differently than what the book how the book ends and okay. I, rem- I remember seeing i am legend in theaters and being so disappointed with the ending because it's such a downer ending and i was like this fucking sucks this ending is terrible why did they do this and then leaving the theater and going online or hearing from other people is that they changed the ending from what it was in the book and then when i i bought i am legend on dvd when it came out um, like a few months later and on the DVD they filmed and had a completely edited CGI totally complete alternate ending that was the book ending and it's so much better and 
Um, so you think this is based off of that most likely? I think that's based off of the ending that people liked more because I think it was pretty unanimous that people were like, I am legend is a great post-apocalyptic horror action movie, but the ending sucks. And the yeah. alternate ending, the, the book ending, the canon ending is way, 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 way better. Canon. And the, the canon, sure, right. But the I idea am legend canon. Yeah. The idea that they're bringing back Will Smith, they're bringing back, they're adding Michael Jordan to the fray makes me think that they're going with the alternate ending, which I think is really exciting personally, because it would mean that I would, I would prefer to, I would like, I don't know. I think, I think it's cool. I think it could set up a cool, a unique story for the second part. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's, it shocks me. You haven't seen it. Cause I, that is a very John Parker ass movie. Just like about surviving alone and, there's like quiet music playing and it's about like, yeah, it's like man all about dog. sorrow and sadness and like, yeah. like it's really, really good. Like, yeah, it's really good. Maybe I'll give it a watch. That's worth it. Before it's a nice Saturday afternoon out. romp. Sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of Saturday afternoon romps, uh, there is a God of War TV series adaptation being eyed by prime video. Um, PlayStation's flagship action adventure franchise, God of War, is heading to television. Prime Video is in negotiations for a live-action TV series based on the hugely popular ancient mythological-themed game, sources say. Um, I hear the series adaption from, comes from the Expanse creators and executive producers, Mark Fergus and Hawk Otsby, which is a great name. And the Wheel of Time executive producer, showrunner Rafe Judkins, as well as Sony Pictures Television and PlayStation Productions, which will collaborate on all TV series based on PlayStation games. Uh, reps for Sony and Amazon Studios, which will likely co-produce, have had no comment to confirm or deny this. Um, this this could be really cool. I'm waiting to see how Lord of the Rings shakes out, though. Exactly. Before, before I can comment on whether they can handle mind. God of War. Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing, man, is that like if the Lord of the Rings is if they can pull that off and it's a success, like cool. Sure. Amazon is officially a contender for these high budget, high concept, big series. And I'm all in for that because um to do a franchise like God of War, you need budget. Like you can't have that shit look cheap or it's not gonna play. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll throw it out right now. Cast Batista. Um, oh, I disagree. I was going to say Momoa. No, f- I don't. No, fuck off. <laughs> I think Momoa was born to upset me to my core. He's got the beard and everything. He would. Can you imagine him bald though? Like bald yeah. with the beard. But also, <laughs> here's the other thing: is that, um, and he's got the sunken eyes like Kratos does. Uh, I don't know. Oh, you know that right. makes me really mad. Uh, you know it to be true. No, 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 no. You need, I don't know. Here's the thing is that, and this is the other thing that like is like kind of concerning to me about this news story is that in current pop culture, like recency, recency brain oriented pop culture, the God of War is the 2018 God of War, 2017 God of War. What was it? Something like that. 2018. Was it 2018? which is a soft reboot of the franchise. And that right. is the best installment in the game. You but God what they're going to do? I would hope that they would go back and do the, the, the origin story, like where he comes from, like how he became the God of War, like what happened with Mount Olympus and Zeus and Athena and all that shit, because it's like 
those games were a lot of fun to play, but the yeah. stories were like pretty trash. Like, they, like they're not like, not like trash, but like they're, uh, they're cheesy. They're like action adventures. And it wasn't until the reboot in 2018 where they were like, well, let's, let's find a older Kratos, a more somber Kratos, a Kratos right. that has a family, a Kratos that has learned and isn't just a Greek God drinking wine and like fucking chicks. Like, but that's where he came from. And so yeah. in that respect, I can see a Momoa type person, but I just think Batista looks, I don't know. I just, I see Dave Batista as Kratos, like the, like the bald head, the bulked out body. Like he even has like the, the, the circle, like all the swirl tattoos, like in guardians. Like I'm just imagining sure. him in that, like, ah, I want that. I want Dave Batista to play Kratos so fucking bad. Do you think Batista has enough range? I love Batista. Yes, I think so. Because Kratos isn't necessarily like a, he doesn't have a whole lot of range. He has rage and he has slightly less rage. You know what I mean? Right. I would just say that Batista is most famously known for Drax, which is not, I guess you just take all the jokes out and I guess he would be Kratos essentially with the blades and everything. Okay. Yeah. All right, I will co-sign your deal, but I'm keeping Momoa in the back pocket because I think if, that's actually what's going to happen. I don't know. If Momoa were to be cast, I guess that that is not the end of the world. I just... I don't see it. Yeah. I don't see him bald. I think he'd do anything for a role. <laughs> bald Momoa. I don't know. I'm going to Google search Jason Momoa bald. They could probably just, you know... Henry Cavill mustache gate him. Fuck that shit. Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, when you Google search Jason Momoa bald, it's that uh, the, 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 that commercial for the Super Bowl like a year or two ago where he's like taking off parts of his body. Remember this? And then he's like, no, this looks terrible. He looks awful. <laughs> no. No. I mean, that's fine. Um, well, let's see, let's see how the Lord of the Rings shapes out and then hopefully this gets done justice, but there's only one PlayStation game TV show that we really need to make sure is good right now. And, uh, yeah. it's being made on HBO. That's um, the other weird thing to me is that like Sony is a, a multi, it is a huge film and TV film conglomerate with this crazy successful video game division with a high end electronics division but for their tv output they they're like them. they're like god oh, go to hbo i ah, go to amazon i ah, go to theaters like with it. uncharted it's like i like it because it's very like laissez-faire it's like just put it wherever it makes most sense for that property but at the same time it's like mm, i kind of wish they were all the same similar sort of format but then you don't get the last of us as like an hbo series which yeah i need inject that in my veins well, something that we will need to be injected into our veins because we'll be so old by the time it comes out <laughs> is uh, Indiana Jones 5, which has wrapped principal photography, um, according to Frank Marshall. Yep. Uh, he went on Twitter, confirmed that filming has completed on the long-delayed Indiana Jones 5. Harrison Ford is set to return and don the iconic fedora, what is surely to be his final time, but probably won't be. Um, directed by James Mangold of Logan, Ford versus Ferrari, and Walk the Line fame. Uh, he'll be directing 
instead of Steven Spielberg, who will be a producer of the film. No word on if George Lucas is a producer on the film, huh? No, I don't think he's involved. Yeah, because he sold Lucasfilm. So Kathleen Kennedy's involved? Mm, I don't know. That's a good question. Jinkies. <laughs> Jinkies. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes me nervous. <laughs> I can you... see James Mangold hating Kathleen Kennedy. <laughs> After the Indiana Jones 5 comes out and it's like, it's like a pretty good movie. It's like an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. And you're like, oh, it's good. Let's see if they can do it again. And then Kathleen Kennedy comes out and she announces the book of short round. And you're like, no, yeah. <laughs> oh. the book of Mutt Williams Jones. Oh no, that's even yeah. worse. Fuck. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I don't see anything about Kathleen Kennedy. But it's oh, wait, still no. Lucasfilm joint. So June 7th, June 7th, 2021, Harrison Ford spotted on set with Kathleen Kennedy <laughs> filming Indy 5. Yep. <laughs> there you go. Well, it ain't about that. It's not about the years. It's about the mileage. We'll always have Paris. <laughs> okay. Casablanca. Nice. Um, you excited about this movie? Indy 5? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be at least good. I, I even think that it could be great. Because I, 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 I like James, James Mangold. Mangold. Yeah, I like James Mangold a lot. I think that they hired him because he had a vision. And I think that this might want, be one of the first disney lucasfilm projects in recent memory where they kind of just take their hands off the wheel and give total creative control to a director although the last Since, time they uh, did that was last the last jedi, jedi. um yeah. the last jedi had a, a very divisive uh reaction in the community but i it's think a good Indian, singular movie <laughs> sure yeah i mean like the last Jedi has a lot of stuff that I absolutely love, uh, but it also has a lot of directional choices that I think are questionable. Um, but I also think so does all of other Ryan, all of the other Ryan Johnson movies, Ryan Johnson directed yeah. and written movies. James Mangold is kind of like batting a thousand right now. Um, and I do, I trust his directorial and editing and writing abilities. Uh, I also think it's much easier to do an action adventure romp than it is to do a sci-fi space epic with a nine movie canon, like yeah, following a movie that kind of just set up an empty playing field. Like what do you do with Indiana Jones? Like you send him off into retirement or you kill him. And I think that they're going to send him off into retirement and they're going to usher in. It's going to be a soft reboot. It's going to be the force awakens, but Indiana Jones, you're going to have a new cast of characters. You're going to have, Indiana Jones coming back to reprise the mantle. He's going to help them save the day, but then he's going to retire and pass off the hat to the next person. Like it's going to be emotional. It's going to be a cool period piece. It's going to be exciting and fun when it needs to be. And there's not going to be any stupid nuclear fridge or monkeys man eating ants or monkeys. It's going yeah. to, I think it's going to be a pretty straightforward action adventure movie. I would, my thought on Indiana Jones is I love the, um, the time that it is set in the original trilogy, which is in World yes. War II in the 30s and the 40s. So and cool. I would almost prefer that they just continue to recast him so that the, the time period stays the same because the last one was in the 50s for the Cold War with the Russians. And you'd have to imagine if Indiana Jones in this movie, it's probably not too far after that. And I kind of just miss him fighting Nazis, you know, and yeah. riding on pan-American I mean, flights and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
hear me Let out. Let me read you some casting things here, okay. though. Yeah, which go is ahead. Go interesting ahead, go on ahead. IMDb. So, Phoebe Waller Bridge, uh, Matt oh, Nicholson, it's... our boy, um, Boyd Holbrook from Logan, uh, who is one of James Mangold's favorites. Oh, yeah. Uh, Toby Jones, also known as, um, what's his name? <sighs> it's not Zemo. Toby Jones? From, oh, yeah, you he's mean, from uh... Captain America. Anim Zola. I am Anim Zola. Zola, thank you. Antonio Banderas. Uh, <laughs> oh, <others>. no, Uncharted. <laughs> he was the best part of Uncharted. What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> no, he was not. Here's some interesting things, though. On IMDb, there are four people credited as being Nazi centuries. Let's go. So do we think they've discovered a underground Nazi regime that has not been killed off? Or is there going to be flashbacks in this movie? Here's how. And if so is that where you introduce your recasted indie? And is it Boyd Holbrook? Mm, do I like Boyd Holbrook enough for him to be Indiana Jones? I'm gonna pull him up. I don't. Not ex- I'm. I, my. I still got Holbrook stock from uh from Logan, honestly. But I don't think he's a good indie. Boyd Holbrook. Yeah, I just don't see him as Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, Boyd Holbrook looks a lot like Tom Felton if he like put on some muscle. <laughs> scare sure. Potter. Hey, you scare Potter. <laughs> <laughs> that would be genius, dude. If they re- if they redid Harry Potter, but it was all like a Western. Oh, I'd love that. They have guns instead of wands. Yeah. <laughs> Specto Patronum, motherfucker. I mean, what's like the worst case scenario is that like Tom Holland's a young Indiana Jones? Well, that so you stole the words out of my fucking mouth. Here's what I was going to say is that like the the details of the plot are being kept under wraps. If we see the first trailer and it's literally just like very similar tease to like that first trailer for episode seven where it's just the Millennium Falcon. Like maybe we see like shots of old cars and shots of the hat and the whip and all that stuff. And we don't see much of the movie. What you could do is you could a genius way to set this movie up is that you have old Harrison Ford going on a easier adventure that doesn't require him to be flipping and jumping and jumping between cars and shit. Right. While he's also telling someone about a time back in whatever. Right. Twenty Like, He's like, well, which is what the report was. This was the report when they were initially shopping the idea of Chris Pratt. Was that it would be a Days of Future Past esque movie where you have the old guard and the new guard. And then by the end of it, we are set up to go with a new cast of characters. Yeah. And I think that that would be a genius way to frame it, especially if you didn't know that going in. If they were somehow able to keep that secret, where it's like, it is the young Indiana Jones move, but it's completely flipped where it's old Indy talking to the, talking to the, the audience, like you're, you're getting settled in. And then he's like, I remember this one time right after the Ark of the Covenant. And then it's like, like you, they close the Ark of the Covenant and they pan the camera up and it's fucking yeah. Tom Holland or. I would love to Bever. see Indian movies that take place before Raiders in the future. That could be cool. Um, like young Sala played by Dev Patel or something. <laughs> that could be cool. Pretty cool. That could be cool. Um, 
Interesting. Well, we should move on because we got some other stuff to talk we about. Do. But yes, once, we do. once we get some more info about this indie movie, I'm sure we're going to be theorizing the many different ways that it could go. I have some some people that I think could be indie. Um, it might be uh, Indiana Jones might work out depending on when that movie comes out. That could work out to be a really fun lead up in review for us to do sure. indie one, two, three, four, and then the new one when it comes out in the theaters, you know, like, I think that that could be a lot of fun if we're able to I schedule those myself as, as tribute to plot synopsize. Those yes, movies. you absolutely should be the plot and you should get a hat. You betrayed Shiva. Dr. Jones, no time for love. All right. Um, <laughs> our next news topic um, is a movie that I forgot was coming out. Uh, Chris Hemsworth will play the lead villain in Furiosa, which is a spinoff of Mad Max Fury Road. While Furiosa is still a ways away with plans to premiere in 2024, these fans can sink their teeth into all the goodies if you can and on Earth, including some casting information about the main villain. According to Blood, Sweat, and Chrome, Australian heartthrob and Thor himself, Chris Hemsworth, will be the primary baddie facing off against Anya Taylor-Joy's Furiosa. I forgot that Anya Taylor-Joy got cast to play young Furiosa because this is a prequel. It's a prequel. Interesting. George Miller's attached. And if this movie is even 75% as good as Mad Max Fury Road, I'm in. Like Mad Max Fury Road was one of my favorite movies of the last decade. It is maybe the the top five best action movies of all time. Just straight up action movies. It is a masterpiece. Uh, So I'm super stoked. I love Chris Hemsworth too. And I like the idea of him playing like an older uh, like an old, like an, like a, uh, like a grizzled up old fucked up kind of <laughs> just plays, uh, plays role from bad times at the El Royale, but sure. a little yeah. more dirty. Yeah. Just a little bit dirtier. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm still not on board with the fact that they recasted Charlize. I know it's a prequel and so they need to have it younger, but I think they should have capitalized on the popularity of the character after the movie and just made one a couple years ago. Sure. Because this movie will come out almost 10 years after Fury Road came out. That's like the Avatar syndrome for me. Like, I'm already moved on. You know what I mean? Like, Avatar is supposed to is still on track to get. That was a new story I didn't put in here because I could give two flying fucks. But apparently, Avatar 2 is supposed to still come out this winter. Is Zoe Zaldana in it? No official cast. There's some casting. Oh, Jake Sully. Oh, 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 dear boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear boy. <laughs> If there's like 25% more like head tail fucking, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> so we saw down the top, top build. Kate mm. Winslet is in this? Yeah, I heard that. Is uh, Sam Worthington reviving his Sam Worthington grid? is reprising his role as Jake Sully. Jesus Christ. Did you have uh, Sam Worthington stock back in the day? Yes, I really thought that he was going to be the him. next big thing. And then he's just a milk toast motherfucker, man. Yeah, he's great as uh, the guy in Terminator Salvation. I like that movie. I ride for that movie. Salvation's not bad. Michelle Yeoh is in this movie. Um, Christian Bale. What? I'm talking about Terminator Salvation. Oh, still. okay. No, I'm, um, I'm still talking about Avatar 2. I was like, is Christian Bale in Avatar 2? They're bringing back Stephen Lang and Giovanni. Jesus, it's like the whole cast. It's plus the whole some. cast. <laughs> I thought a lot of these people died. Yeah, I thought Stephen Lang and Giovanni Ribisi died. 
Yeah, where's Michelle Rodriguez? Is she back too? Holy fucking titties. I completely forgot that Michelle Rodriguez is an avatar. Oh my God. I haven't seen that movie since probably 2010. So it's been, you know, this means that 12 years we have to do a rewatch together. Oh, I'm totally in. We'll go see it. Yeah. I'm totally in. uh, Yeah. I'm in. Count me in. Jesus. CCH pounders in this movie. Let's go. (laughs) What is going on? All right. Um, avatar what a, what a wild concept anyway fern gully that's it's not a wild concept it's a pretty tried and true it's fern gully meets pocahontas meets alien yeah i just it came out in 2009 isn't that crazy 2009 jesus anyway let's talk about some good feels stuff. longer I, i'm sorry to cut you off but that's I just feels longer no, like 2009 like that's 13 years ago right like yep <laughs> lots changed feels longer feels a lot longer than 13 years but yeah whatever my first uh my first xbox live account name was jake sully 42 <laughs> was it really <laughs> That's so amazing. I was so in, man. I was like, Avatar is the best. It's the best thing ever. And then I saw it a couple more times. I was like, this movie's actually not great. I mean, let's be honest. Like at the time, it, it was, was mind blowing. It was huge. It was huge. I mean, it still is. It's the most successful movie in the world. Like, and, and I don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting topic. We should totally save that. Put that in the can for an Avatar review toward later this year. But like, yeah, I was blown away. I don't remember like in my in that age like that at that age that i was like it was the first movie i remember seeing everyone saying you have to see this in 3d i was like 3d in a movie theater and it was like it brought that whole trend back and then for the next 10 years we're still dealing with this shit the real d 3d and these movies coming to 3d imax and fucking shit yeah thanks avatar thanks for everything damn well, anyway, I wish James Cameron would just go back to making alien movies, honestly. But here didn't we he are. direct Covenant? No. He didn't direct Covenant? Wasn't he involved, though? I think I think he was involved in the most recent Terminator movie. Oh. When they brought back Linda right. Hamilton. Right, right, right. Vamp right. for a second. I'll, I'll double check that. Because I actually, listen, all jokes aside and some bad takes that he's had recently. James Cameron's got quite the film catalog of some really good movies that I love, but no, I mean, he's, he's a legend. Five avatar movies. Jesus. 2022, 2024, 2026, 2028. So wait, did they film all of them at once? Apparently the rumor is that a lot of the movies is being held close to the chest, but the rumor is, is that they shot two movies back to back. And then they have plans to just immediately jump right after the release and go straight into filming the next chapters. So they're not filming it all at once. Not all of it all at once. But I think how does Zoe Zaldana have time to do Guardians of the Galaxy if she's making five fucking Avatar well, movies? Here's the thing, bro. Is the uh, bro? I don't know why I said bro. <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> here's, the thing, here's the thing: is that these movies are made in computers, like. You and have your tank. actors. You have your actors set. on set for like. Did you hear about the tank? Week? Huh? You heard about the tank set though, right? Like a lot of Avatar two is underwater apparently. What? So you know he did that documentary with the Mariana Trench or whatever. Like this movie is so expensive. They've been filming most of it underwater. 
which is just so Jesus wild. fucking Christ. They're going to be so pissed when this movie comes out and it like tanks. Yeah. Because like, yeah, it's the most <laughs> successful property in the world. China is going to eat it up. But like, will American audiences be struck with enough nostalgia to go back to Pandora? Doubt it. Doubt it. Yeah, so James Cameron returned to Terminator Dark Fate with a story credit. Okay, but otherwise, he, did, he has not been involved in Alien since uh, the 1986 classic Aliens. One of my okay. favorite movies ever. Game over, man. Game over, man. Game over. All right. Uh, speaking of big box office juggernauts in the theater, uh, this is a very, very interesting topic that we need to spend some time talking about, but then quickly transition into talking about the movie itself. Yes, um, I put this here because I think it will give us a natural transition into talking about the movie, but I think that this is very important to talk about right now. Very important. So AMC um, is charging more for the Batman tickets. Uh, the CEO was discussing... Um, Variable pricing for different movies, and they're testing things out. Uh, so Adam Aaron, CEO of AMC Entertainment, said tickets for the Batman will cost more than other movies when it opens this week as the chain experiments with variable pricing. This is a quote here. Currently, our prices for the Batman are slightly higher than the prices we are charging for other movies playing in the same theaters at the same time, Aaron said during a webcast following quarterly earnings. He said that the move follows a few years after successfully raised weekend pricing above midweek levels at some other U.S. locations. Here's another quote here. This is all quite novel in the United States, but actually AMC has been doing it for years in our European theaters. Indeed, in Europe, we charge a premium for the best seats in the house, as do just above all other sellers of tickets in other industries. Take sporting events, concerts, and live theater, for example. Aaron seems, quote, considerably upside opportunity ahead if we continue to be imaginative, unquote, on pricing. He didn't offer any specifics and he wasn't asked, but a quick online search of AMC, Empire 25 and Times Square showed that tickets for the Batman were $18.99, were a dollar more than tickets for Uncharted and Dog. This is horse shit. <laughs> <laughs> is it, though? Here's... Okay, so here's my two cents. And You're risking I, your life to go to the movies these days. So, uh, sure. I mean, it depends on what your your risk tolerance is or what you're particularly scared about. I mean, right now it's like, hopefully we're in a we're in a better time period. This would be happening regardless of COVID. Theaters are going to die no matter what the pandemic. The pandemic sped that timeline along quite a bit, but now theaters yeah. are fight. This is the fight back right now. What we're in is the fight back. And I don't even want to, I don't really want to touch on the COVID aspects of it because that muddles everything. And we don't know what studios are thinking and they're never going to tell us. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, COVID's a statistical nightmare to deal with. Yeah. yeah but the thing is, is that like they are never going to tell us how that impacted it positively or negatively. We can only see from like data, like we can see that like WB felt it pertinent to release their movies on their streaming service and they did that for a whole year and now they're not anymore uh, with certain movies yeah so we can say that we can we can incur from we can infer from that that there was like somewhat of a success but not the same level of success as a theater however the model is changing and theaters are dying like theaters theaters are going to become a more boutique experience over the next 50 80 100 years like yeah it is i mean i'm doing it happen. tomorrow i'm going to a theater tomorrow where tickets are about 15 dollars a pop and 
they deliver food to your seat mm-hmm. so that you come and you buy dinner there too. Right. So like I'm walking out of there spending upwards of like $35 to go sure. to the movie. Yeah. And but I think it's so that worth m- it to just sit there with the BLT watching Bruce sure. Wayne punch people oh, in yeah. the face. Yeah. And like, and I think that that will be the model. Like that will be what draws people is that it, it is an experience. It is an experience that is different than being on your couch, like big screen, yeah. premium audio, service good service clean atmosphere like blah 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 blah, all that stuff like that will be the model going forward and then like these theaters are just going to have to figure it out but why i don't want to talk about covid specifically is that like and we don't i don't really want to get like super deep into it it's like where we are right now it seems like as a population with covid is that or at least from what i see in my tiny little bubble is that like you know it is still a big risk for a lot of people but for the primary, how do I say this without being, I I don't want to say this offensively. The primary target audience for most movies is that like young adult to middle, like late. It's like that 18 to 38 demographic. Like the people that spend the most money, the people that go out to the movies, it's not like older folks and it's not like little kids. So most of that demographic, it, like otherwise than people that like have extenuating health issues, like right now we're at a pretty okay-ish moving place with the pandemic, like in terms of cases being down and the strains that are out there, the variants being a little less harm, like less severe. Yeah. Um, so new, new variants of a, the, the pandemic, new variants of COVID permitted, like we're slow. I think we are slowly starting to see the fizzling of, and vaccines and boosters are so readily available to everybody. Like, um, at least in the United States, just speaking domestically, not in a worldwide sense. Um, so let me ask you this though, just to play devil's advocate here, because I'm not saying I disagree with you, but many times on this show, we've talked about, you know, Marvel Studios. I'll give you a hundred dollars to be able to watch this movie right now in my home. What about that is different than paying to go see it in the theater a little more expensive of a price point? So here's what I would versus say. Versus going to see something like Power of the Dog, which sure. to me is worth zero dollars. <laughs> That's exact. <laughs> and, and Jonathan, my friend Jonathan Swan Songathan. Thank you so much for bringing that point up because that's exactly why this is horseshit is, and this is my soapbox <laughs> and this is my two cents. And then I'll stand off of this. You're getting that, taxed for being a fanboy. No, it's that you, when you start fluctuating the price of movies based on the kind of movies that they are in the theater. Yeah. You are, you are adjusting the price based on what you think that someone will pay for it. Do you know what I mean? Like this is, you're also adjusting what is worth valuable. Exactly. And what I'm, what I'm, what I mean by this, and this is why this is horseshit is that just because it is, and yeah, you're right. Like we might say, but we're, we have a lot of privilege. Like the two of us are like people in our demographic. Like we could theoretically afford to pay 50, 60, $70 and have a bunch of friends over to your house and watch a movie if we wanted to pay for it at home. The difference is, is that if this is allowed to continue and this is normalized, that certain IP or certain movies that are deemed to be better are given higher ticket prices. While the shit films are not adjusted at all. In fact, they keep that baseline. That is what makes this absolutely horseshit in my brain is that, yeah, like 
I have no problem if you're going to raise the ticket prices of something because you think it's going to sell. I might not support AMC because of that, because I think that that's a really shady move because my argument is that then lower the price for something that you like aren't expecting that big of a draw. Like why should, besides the fact of like wanting to support independent arts or like directors or whatever, like why should a ticket to the French dispatch a $60 million introspective indie project from Wes Anderson cost a dollar less than the Batman, which they're able to charge $19 at a New York cinema for, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. or why is that fucking like, they I think it's interesting Uncharted. though that that quote, it says it's a dollar more than Uncharted, which means that Uncharted is $17.99 in New York city. I'm not yeah, paying that. <laughs> and that's, that's and just that's a New the York thing. problem. And that's really that's all I want to say on my soapbox for this this article is that like this is this I think this sets a, a bit of a weird precedent for judging the cost of what you pay as a consumer to go to the movies to see a movie based on the caliber or quality of the movie that said theater decides that it is right. Yeah. So if like Uncharted gets so let's let's say it this way. So follow me on this logic. Let's say the Batman two comes out and it's directed by Matt Reeves and it's the sequel and the buzz is really high. But when the review embargo lifts, it's like a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes and you get that, you get, you get a ton of people that are like, well, it reviewed really poorly. So maybe I'm not motivated to see it in theaters, but then, but so would that give, would the impetus then be on the theater to charge less because they know that they're going to have that might can, that might convince more people to go to the theater or are they going to be able to charge two, three, four, five dollars more for the Batman sequel? Because even despite the qual- the quality of the film, they know that people, the hungry, slop eating pigs that want to just see Batman, will go and buy those tickets. Like squeal like is- a pig for vengeance, boy. <laughs> exactly. And so, like, I am. A, this is one of those weird things. Is like, is politically, like where I stand for most of the time, I'm very like libertarian like do whatever you want in that sense like that that doesn't really bother me and i you know i'm fine with like a capitalistic society for a lot of stuff but when you're it's it's weird because it's like the capitalism and art aspects kind of clash for me that's where that is the only part of my brain that it's like it's hard for me to yeah. make two ways of it because why are you charging if it's $18.99 to see the Batman in New York City, that means it's $17.99 to see Dog, which is that like 20% Channing Tatum dog movie. It's like, charge me $3 to see that. I'll pay what it, because if we're going to get to that point with movies, it's like, I will pay what it's worth. And I'm worried that when it starts becoming that, my worth is going to be in, even more diminished to go to the theater. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's no, like, I, I, I think that they're hurting know, themselves in the long run because one, when the Batman or when Spider-Man Far From Home 2 comes out, where it's all three Spider-Man jerking each other off in the multiverse, it's like, okay, we're going to charge $39.99 for you to go see one ticket for Spider-Man No Way Home because we think that the people will supply and demand. And then they're yeah, going to be fucking- That's the thing, right? They're going to be shocked when people don't pay $40 because they don't feel that it's- enough of a demand to go and see it. And I'm sorry that I'm rambling. I'm, I'm just, this, this, this article really frustrated me. And I saw so many great intellectual, intellectual threads online of people like debating this and debating the morality and the, the uh, it's, it's very fascinating. I just, I, I think that this sets a weird precedent. 
Well, I think the cool thing about capitalism is that like AMC can do this, but Regal doesn't have to do it, right? Exactly, exactly. Or Gateway. Exactly. You know, the thing about capitalism is, is like you don't like the price point there, go somewhere else. There you go. Like this definitely isn't a sky is falling moment or anything like that. No, I no, think no, no, it's no. interesting. I would love to see how this pans out for them, honestly. Yeah. I also think it's interesting though that this is going to heavily influence box office statistics for movies. Because the Batman, if it's $20 a pop to go see it, is going to launch past Spider-Man like very quickly yeah. um, if, if trends continue to follow. So it's, and, uh, it's interesting, but it doesn't necessarily mean that um, it should be done across the board. Sure. This is something that like the MPAA is going to have to get involved in. I and think. you also... You also find that with uh, box office results, like with with how financially successful a movie is, it really does correlate a lot with a the property and how much how excited people are to go to the theater to go see something. But it is also in how many theaters it's playing in because we've talked about this in the past. There's been like stuff. Disney's been doing this a lot, where with the Marvel movies or with Star Wars. Remember, there was that thing that came out with the Last Jedi that was a big controversy before the movie came out, where they were demanding that theaters keep it in the biggest cineplex with the most amount of seats for this extended period of time. And that jacks up the box office as well. So let's say that they end up doing this and they're like, okay, well, as a stipulation, if you're going to charge more for the Batman, we require it to be taking up all this space in these amount of theaters. And then that diminishes the ability for other movies that are maybe better to make more money. And it's like, it's a really fascinating thing. And like, I agree with you totally. Like, it's like, if AMC does normalize this, then it's like, well, I'm just not going to support them. Um, my worry is that if they see that it's successful, then other brands that are struggling will follow suit because theaters are all in the same boat. Like they're, they're going to have to adapt. And I'm just curious to see what that looks like as we go forward. I think for me, the movies that I'm seeing in the theater are these event movies. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I would clearly pay $20 to go see the Batman opening night. Um, but at the same time, if I really wanted to see an art movie like Belfast and that was worth it to me to go see it, I would also pay $20 to see that. So in my opinion, like if the theaters are hurting that bad, raise the prices and you'll find out who your real Cineflix are. Sure. Right. And that's a fair um, way to look at it, too. And I do think that this I, I think that the positive of this is that it could affect it could positively affect independent cinema, places like Gateway sure. or like uh, the Esquire in Cincinnati, which is a really awesome local art, like mom and pop run theater in, in Cincy, they, their ticket prices have stayed the same for years. Like they kind of adjust yeah. as inflation goes, but whatever, but they're not going to follow this sort of pricing structure. So it might motivate more people to go to those smaller independent theaters and support those chains as well. So I don't know. It's an interesting topic, man. I mean, movies art, any kind of art in where you have to involve money in some aspect is is just interesting to me because it has so many ramifications on the creative process of art how you're creating it who you're showing it to like i don't know it's it goes very deep the rabbit hole is deep on this one yeah um well, I think it's I think it's interesting and something that I'm sure we'll continue to talk about as the as the years go by. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Our last our last news topic here ties into our main topic of the evening, so we'll quickly touch on this. Yeah. Without spoiling the Batman specifically, um, mm-hmm. 
But this has been known that there are two spinoff shows coming out of the Batman overseen by Matt Reeves uh, for HBO Max. Um, Matt Reeves has said that the Gotham Police Department show has evolved based on what it was initially going to be when production began. Uh, he spoke to a YouTube channel, The Cyber Nerds, and suggested that the show will now focus on a different part of Gotham's history. Quote, the GCPD thing, that story kind of has evolved. We've actually now moved more into the realm of exactly what would happen if in the world of Arkham as it relates to coming off of our movie and some of the characters, again, in their origins. It's like a horror movie or haunted house that is Arkham. Continuing here. Again, the way that Gotham is a character in the movie, I really want Arkham to exist as a character so that you go into this environment and encounter these characters in a way that feels really fresh. And so in our work on Gotham, that story started to evolve and it feels like it's, or sorry, and it started to feel like, wait, should we really lean into this? And that's kind of where that's gone, unquote. Hmm. So. And that's all Matt Reeves speaking in an interview, so. Yes. Um, yeah. So this sounds like it's going to be Silence of the Lambs in Gotham. <laughs> sure. To me. Here's, so. I do. I think that we might be able to, we'll talk about this as it fits into the Batman review, which we're about to really talk about and the meat of the, tonight's discussion. Right. Um, but the only thing I'll say is the big part of this to me, the biggest part of this is that this show is early in development. Like they're still, yeah, they're still figuring out what this is. Um, so I would not, I really wouldn't expect to see this anytime soon. Like I bet this is a 2023 project at the earliest. Yeah, I. What? How far in production is that Penguin show specifically as well? Have they announced anything about that? Well, I think that that's this. Like, I thought that the Penguin thing was no, it's in, two different projects. There's two different projects. There's a Penguin specific thing, and there was supposed to be a GCPD thing. I would assume that both of those are probably in early development, not active, like probably pre-production on both. I would imagine so as well. Yeah. So, Which I don't is know. It's a shame that it's not going to roll out like five months after the movie, like Peacemaker, because that would be cool if in like August we watched like a show called The Great and Powerful Oz Cobblepot. The Great and Powerful Oz Cobblepot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I was DC, I think that the, I like that method. Like, I really, really enjoyed how The Suicide Squad came out and then Peacemaker came out just a few months afterwards so that that movie was still fresh in a lot of people's minds. Right. And maybe even motivated people that liked Peacemaker to go back and watch The Suicide Squad. Yeah. Um, so you would, as, a, as an executive at DC or at Warner Brothers, I'd be like, yeah, let's have these small, scaled-down HBO Max projects come out a few months after the movie to keep that buzz going. But I think that these, and we'll talk about this when we get into the review, but I think the scope of these shows and maybe what they're trying to go for might be, it might be a lot. Like, it, it might be a lot. They might have to really consider about restructuring this. I wouldn't be shocked if one of those two projects gets canned. Um, and I wouldn't were, be shocked if I it was actually, the Penguin. What did you say? I said I wouldn't be shocked if the penguin gets canned, but we'll talk That's about that. That's the one I canned. actually would prefer that they do can because I kind of want to save him for the movies. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, particularly where this movie gets left off. Um, I also think I that be it, uh, you, doing, a, doing an HBO Max show so soon, soon after the Batman where you have Colin Farrell have to sit in a makeup chair for 12 hours again. a day. Yeah. Not. He said mm. they got it by the mid, by the end of production. They got the makeup process down to two hours, which is insane. That's fucking nuts. 
Isn't that cool? It started at four and then they, they got it down to a science. So Jesus, um, if this show, and I won't spend too much time on this, but if this show is a type of like silence of the lambs type GCPD cop, whether it's maybe somebody that wasn't in the movies, like a a Harvey Bullock or Renee Montoya or something, or if it is a Jim Gordon having to go in and do like, it's a small budget cold case style thing where they're introduced they're interviewing different batman villains like the calendar man or something like things that are a little more low budget and not like clayface or the joker or something that sounds awesome that'd be really cool like a mur- like a murder yeah. procedural a cop procedural every week yeah would be really fun um, yeah, could be really, really cool. I think that this universe has a lot of stuff that they obviously the Batman universe is one of the most rich comic book universes that you can really do a lot of stuff with. Um, I don't yeah. know. Lots of lots of questions out there with how DC is going to how DC and Warner Brothers is going to handle this new Batman canon going forward. Yeah. And we're back from the break. Uh, John. I hit my head on my sink as I was bending over to pull my pants up going to the bathroom. So uh, there's that. Are you okay? Did you, oh, did you oh. discover the, the theory behind time travel? Uh, no, but I think I rocked my brain into getting ready to talk about the Batman. Hell yeah. That's right, everybody. Thank you for sticking through the show. If you have, or if you've just jumped to the time code, welcome. This is the Batman review that's right john and i are going to talk about the batman we're going to keep it spoiler free at the very beginning give our thoughts and impressions and then we will be very clear when we're going to start discussing spoilers and the details of the movie so if you want to just hear what we thought if you haven't seen it yet feel free to tune in for a little bit we will be very clear when we start talking about spoilers um uh, we are talking about the batman released on march 4th 2022 written and directed by matt reeves who is the director and writer for the dawn and war of the planet of the apes movies he directed the uh, horror film Let Me In, and he was the director of Cloverfield, which I feel like a lot of people forget about because that's a, I feel like a J.J. Abrams project for a lot of people. Uh, yeah. Who was Cloverfield Lane? Uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane was a different guy. I don't remember who I'm did that if you want to look that one up for me. Sure. Um, but yeah, so written and directed by Matt Reeves, which is awesome to see. I love having a writer director, I feel like that's often a very indicative of what the project is. You're able to give yeah. this person a lot of con- like freedom from the, like, if I learned anything from, you know, film school, it's that, you know, the creative process begins with the words on the page and how those words are translated into film is a big part of the director's job. But like a lot of times you have these big scripts written by David Goyer or fucking, Kurtzman and Rossi or Roberto Orsi and these, that turn into Chris like projects. Sure, Chris Terrio that have the, the the final project. You start to see a little bit of the discrepancy between the 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 script and what you're seeing. So good for you, Matt Reeves. Uh, I can I we talked about it briefly earlier, but the Dawn and War of the Planet of the Apes are fantastic movies. I've not seen Let Me In. Um, me neither. Uh, Cloverfield, I think, is a really good movie. I think that it is a cool experience, but not maybe necessarily a great film. I don't know how you feel about it. Not as big of a fan. I, I do like 10 Cloverfield much better. Oh, yeah. Um, that movie's awesome. But that was directed wasn't... by Dan Trachtenberg. Okay. Um, yeah. Did you know Damien Chazelle wrote the screenplay for 10 Cloverfield? Like he was on the. Really? He did. 
Isn't that crazy? I wonder if you got any La La Land inspiration from uh, 10 Cloverfield. <laughs> well, 10 Cloverfield Lane was a movie that was called The Cellar that was then given the Cloverfield moniker to be part of that yes. universe, but it was an independent film. So that actually doesn't surprise me that Chazelle wrote that movie, it, intending it to be like a small budget indie project. That movie's uh, insane. John Goodman's terrifying. Great movie. Um, Excellent movie. Yeah, you and I saw that together earlier we on did. in our friendship. Yeah. We did we did um i haven't seen it since then uh it's kind of a stressful ordeal <laughs> it's not a good quarantine rewatch that's for sure no 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 <laughs> uh, there is uh for the batman though there's a secondary writing credit for uh peter craig who i had to do a little bit of digging to find out about this man because i've never heard of him before but he wrote you haven't watched the town enough times to see i was his gonna name say pop up in the credits yeah. he wrote one of your favorite movies of all time the town um he was i think the, he gets the secondary writing credit because he was attached to the affleck version of this film right really that's what i thought interesting that would make sense i thought he like i thought he was he stayed on for that transition between affleck and matt reeves is my i think this movie is like 90 percent written by matt reeves yes well then i'll just jump so okay so let me let me get through this real quick so secondary writing credit for peter craig he did the town he was a lead writer on bad boys for life and the hunger games mocking jay part one and two and then beyond that a bunch of stuff that didn't really seem super consequential but yeah, one, the of the town, big, one of my top 10 favorite movies but one of the big uh one of the big trivia facts i've got down here is that uh coming from imdb trivia a lot of this stuff could be totally positive there's some strings of truth you take what you want with a great assault um, it said when Ben Affleck was set to star and direct the film of the film would have been Deathstroke played by Joe Manganiello and the screenplay would have pro prominently featured Arkham Asylum. Matt Reeves had enjoyed the original script that Ben Affleck had been preparing, comparing it to a James Bond film. However, he opted not to use it as he wanted to make a more noir detective driven story. So yeah. it sounds to me like they had a script. Maybe this Peter Craig guy was attached to it, but it sounds like they didn't use it. Yeah. At all. If any of that original. Affleck script. None of it. <laughs> yeah. So that's what, that's Listen, what I still want to see that movie though. Sure. I mean, it's, give that's me, the ultimate me, what could have been story for superhero movies. I mean, right it sounded like the, the pitch for that movie was Affleck was going to direct um, Die Hard in Arkham Asylum with Hans Gruber's Deathstroke and Batman stuck in there by himself. And it was that about like the rad. rogues. It was like the whole rumor was that it was going to predominantly feature the rogues gallery. So it was going to be like, it could have, we were theorizing that it could have been a long Halloween. Right. Sort of. Or the Arkham Asylum comic Arkham book Asylum, and, and sure. video game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's why I think it's interesting that Peter Craig is given a writing credit on IMDb because it sounds like they didn't use any of that original Affleck script, but this guy was still somehow attached to the Matt Reeves project. Um, yeah. So we might not know that we might not know that full story until way later plus on down I, the road. Plus, I think after Affleck and Craig turned in their script, Warner Brothers did some rewrites where they kind of it seemed like they kind of kicked Craig out of the rewriting, and and Jeff Johns did some rewrites with Ben Affleck, and that's where I think Affleck started to lose the juice for wanting to continue to do the Batman stuff. Is mm. one of his writing partners got shown to the door. So yeah. Uh, the Batman is rated PG-13 for strong, violent, and disturbing content, drug content, strong language, and some suggestive material. Um, don't want to dive too deep into this right off the bat, but I did feel it was pertinent in this case of the Batman to include the 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 uh, the M the MPAA rating because uh, this movie is very dark, which we'll talk about. Um, 
I personally am shocked that it's a PG-13 movie. I think that this could have easily been rated R. Um, Which is exactly what everyone said about The Dark Knight when that came out, too. Sure. Yeah. Uh, at one hundred, This is by far the darkest Batman movie, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. At 175 minutes, the film is the longest Batman film to date, and it's the third longest yeah, comic book baby. movie of all time behind Zack Snyder's Justice League and Avengers Endgame. Uh, yeah. I think Avengers Endgame is 10 minutes longer than the Batman. I think that it's something like that. And obviously, Snyder's Justice League is like four hours and something, right? It's like two days longer. Yeah. <laughs> it's a full 24 hours longer. <laughs> um, got some updates here. Uh, in terms of box office, uh, do 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 do. The the most recent the most recent update we had today. We're recording this on Monday, March seventh, so we've had a full weekend of the movie being out in theaters. Um, the Batman has a hundred thirty four million dollar domestic debut, um, and it, uh, so one hundred thirty four in North American theaters over the weekend. Sunday's estimates of one hundred twenty eight million. Uh, ticket sales rank is the best opening of 2022, as well as the second pandemic era movie to cross the hundred million mark in a single weekend following Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, internationally, the Batman captured 120 million from 74 overseas markets, pushing its global tally to 254 million. And uh, I attached the, the numbers here. Um, uh, the top 22 box office at the, you know, for this year, the worldwide box office, the first two are, Chinese movies that I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce, but number three is Uncharted, uh, coming mm-hmm. in with a worldwide box office of 271 million, and then the Batman is close behind it at 258 million, and that's only after one weekend. Um, and those numbers are slowly going to trickle in uh, as we go throughout the week. So this movie is doing very well financially. Very curious to see where it ends up in its theatrical run because. Uh, the Batman, as far as unless they change their tone, Warner Brothers and HBO Max has said that the movie will be available in 45 days after the theatrical release date, which would put it around the weekend of April 15th. Um, Sunday, April 17th is exactly 45 days after the release date. That sounds great because I want to see it like three more times in theaters and then I can just start watching it at home. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, uh, John, before we dive into spoilers and talk about uh, the movie and all that kind of stuff, uh, let's let's start it out. I want to hear from the number one Batman fan that I know, the number one DC comic book fan that I know. Um, yeah. What did you think, spoiler free, about the Batman? I really like this movie a lot. I think it is extremely well shot greg frazier the cinematographer who also did work on rogue one and like zero dark 30 um shoots gotham in such a visceral grounded way where you're really up into the action and like just where like they mount the camera on the sides of the cars or on batman's head and stuff like that when he's doing things is just so interesting and unique um i'm a big fan of this movie man like this it's exactly what i was hoping it would be and it even exceeded my expectations in some other minor respects that we can get into later on. So yeah, in terms of recommendations to go see it in the theater, I highly recommend it. Um, I have seen it twice with plans to see it for a third time tomorrow. So I'm all in baby. Let's go Batson. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? 
I loved it. I, I, uh, I liked it even more the second time and I'm planning on seeing it again a third time. Uh, the first time we saw it was in our, our beloved Gateway Film Center in Columbus, Ohio, mm-hmm. and we saw it uh, on a bit of a smaller screen. Uh, but that's what you get when you, you know, you have an independent cinema. Uh, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's very it is very much an independent city cinema, which um, but we had such a good time like that. Um, that opening night crowd was good. Like people were into it. We were the it, most hyped people in the room, though. Let's be honest. We were, we were driving the hype train. Sure. Yeah. But uh, it's yeah, not definitely. as like exciting of a movie in terms of like hoots and hollers as a no, Spider-Man no. no way home. But there were some moments where you, John and I were like, let's fucking go. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it is a, it's a great movie. I think that uh, it is a top tier Batman movie. I also think it's a top tier comic book movie, uh, which we'll talk about when we get to rankings and stuff like that at the very end. Um I loved it. I mean, the second time I loved it even more and the moments that hit hit even harder. Um, I was able to sink in and kind of get even more out of the movie the second time. Uh, and thinking about the movie, it's a movie that it, it is, it is really the first Batman movie since the Nolan trilogy. It's one of the first comic book movies since the Nolan trilogy. That's there's maybe like a handful, like maybe five or six, but that have really, stuck with me like i'm thinking about it i want to hear what other people are saying about it i want to hear yeah what people are feeling how people are dissecting certain scenes i love hearing insight into different what people are reading into the way that bat uh batman's portrayed in this and how they're directing the actors and yeah i love the interpretation i think that robert pattinson did a really great job i think that is it is a um it's a very subdued batman movie um it's very dark. Like you said, it is the darkest Batman movie. It might be one of the darkest comic book movies of all time. Um, I would say it's the, the darkest comic book movie. I, I don't think I can't think of anything from the MCU that's darker than this. Logan's so, pretty dark. That's I would think my I think my <laughs> ranking in darkness would be. The Batman, Logan, Dark Knight. Sure. One, two, three. Yeah. Morbius right after that. <laughs> I can't forget about Venom and Morbius. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just kidding, man. It's Dr. Michael Morbius at your service. Um, yeah, I, I think that this movie is um, a great stepping. St- the fact that this movie is as good as it is, and it's basically kicking off an entire new universe um, or not new universe, but a new interpretation of the character i think is great and my favorite part about this movie is what it does to set up where we're going um and i really really enjoyed that aspect where there's you know and it might be a lot of like because we come into this we come into this universe batman is a character that both you and i have grown up with um we have a lot of baggage going into a movie like this um but what i really liked is that I felt like Matt Reeves was speaking to us in a way through the script and through the movie saying like the movie felt very purposeful, like where every little thing that they were setting up in this movie was not just fulfilling in the, in the movie itself. Like where I feel like all the side characters are great. Everyone has like a really great arc. Everyone has really interesting motivations. Got a deep, deep bench of of side characters and actors that portray them really well without ever taking away from the fact that like this is the most batman movie that we've had Mm -hmm. probably since batman begins 
Because unfortunately, the Tim Burton movies are fun, but they're definitely all focused on the villains. And then I would argue so is The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And I just love where we're at. Like, I, I ending the movie, and we'll talk about this in spoilers quite a bit because I have lots of thoughts and I've been able to kind of sit on it and digest it quite a bit. Um, but this is a movie that this is a Batman movie that really makes you think. And, and like, I don't know if I could say the same thing for any of the Nolan movies because like those movies have their introspective moments, but they are still telling like there's telling like a very straightforward Batman story. Um, this movie has some themes and some where it leaves the characters at the end is fundamentally different than where they begin in this movie. And that is so exciting to me for where this franchise could go from here, because I think that if they play their cards, right, this sequel could be one of the best Batman movies ever made. Um, maybe one of the best comic book movies ever made. And I think that this is certainly in the discussion of one of the best comic book movies of all time. Um, yeah. Agreed. I like leaving the theater. I was, I was so, so excited leaving. Yeah. And I was just like, and my gut reaction was like, I think it's better than Batman Begins. I don't know if it touches the highs of the Dark Knight, but I think that it's in that echelon. And but just saying that, Batman Begins is fucking great. And the fact that this movie is <laughs> on that caliber, if not even better, in my opinion, is like is high fucking praise for me personally. So oh, for sure. I um, think this movie is also such a unique entry into the franchise because it's a great origin story for Batman without having to repeat the origin story of exactly this is his parents die blah blah blah. this is cool to see like michael keaton's batman starts out where he's already batman and this and this movie does too um but it never takes a moment to do a flashback of the waynes getting murdered i don't think that's a spoiler really but like everybody knows that they die anyway yeah um yeah, man, this movie also, I can't wait to talk to you about spoilers and like potential for the future because this movie ends in a place that is very like, if they were to never make another one of these movies, it would, it would serve really well on its own. Yeah, I totally but agree. The potential for the world they have created in this version of Gotham City is extremely exciting and very different from the Nolan movies, which is exactly what they needed. Yes. They needed a box office smash that did not copy the Nolan trilogy. Otherwise it would only be compared to that forever. Um, and that's and this takes, very excited. This movie takes a lot of lessons from the Nolan movies. Like it, it is very, True. I mean, it's very grounded. It's very gritty. Like it doesn't do villain. the voice. Virtual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of that stuff. There's a lot of like, you can make d direct comparisons. You can see where the dark Knight trilogy influenced Matt Reeves in this movie. But I really do think that like you saying that, like I totally completely agree and this is this is exactly what they need right now is they needed something that was because that I, I mean are you that this could be a whole nother conversation but i feel like the dark knight movies that trilogy of nolan movies they kind of set a tone for what batman can be on the cinema like in the film yeah. in this in a movie theater atmosphere it's not the animated series, it's not the, the campier Keaton movies. It's not the sure. ultra campy Batman and Robin Batman forever movies. It is a gritty, grounded, serious take on Batman. And so, and people responded to that so positively that I can't imagine ever going back down 
Like, I can't imagine that you're going to have a successful Batman property that's not like a Lego Batman or and they're doing that DC. Um, did you see the trailer for the Super Pets League or whatever that is? Yeah. It's like you can do that with Batman, but in a movie franchise, a major motion picture, like a $250, $200 million uh, budget Batman movie, this is kind of what we're, I feel like we're going to get for the rest of time. And you yep. need to take Unless the you right do like lessons. a Batman Beyond, yeah. Yeah, you need to take the right lessons and not take the wrong lessons. And I feel like they they really learned from what the 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 Nolan trilogy accomplished. And I thought that Matt Reeves is just uh, I think that this movie just like absolutely put him up in that that top tier director echelon for me. Like I think that he's great. I think that this movie is so smart. It is funny and it's funny in some moments where it needs to be funny. Um it's yeah. exciting when it needs to be exciting. It's dramatic when it needs to be dramatic. It it doesn't have it doesn't have fucking Slipknot getting his head blown up or 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 the Joker with a damage <laughs> tattoo. It's not well, trying. That's the to- thing we need to talk about, right? Is is Warner Brothers needed this to reassure us, Batman fans and DC comic fans in general, that like you know, essentially, like we know we didn't necessarily start out a new iteration of Batman post Nolan in the way that served the character. Well, we hear you. We're letting this Artur create a version of Batman that is both heavily influenced by the comics, but also influenced by all of the best versions of the film franchises. Right. And like, we're just going to let him cook. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that, yeah, that's a, a, a great, like a great thing to transition into spoilers is that this is a new Batman. Like it feels new. It feels it like, you know, it's, it's so frustrating because we were talking about this earlier with like the whole, whatever the script was when Ben Affleck was writing it, I would have loved to have seen what that movie was. And I think that you agree. Um, I think they'll make it for HBO max one day. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't, It'll I, be I with don't Michael Keaton though. Um, I don't know, but like, I, I think that like now that the dust is settled, now that we've seen a Batman movie, a new Batman movie, the first Batman movie since Dark Knight Rises came out in 2012, right? 10 years ago. Yeah. 10 years ago was the last time we saw a Batman movie and not Batman V Superman where, yep. Let's be completely honest. And like, we can have our disagreements fans out there. You can have your disagreements. I think that all of the DCEU is built on shaky ground. And Zack Snyder does not fully understand the DC universe. In my, he has a very specific interpretation of it, which I don't 100% vibe with. He thinks Um, they're all gods in this type of weird mythological world, which is fine. There are there are comics like Kingdom Come is one of those where they're treated like these revered deities. But his introduction to Batman, while I think. Affleck is actually pretty good as an actor in in BVS is just so excessively <laughs> it, it, I don't know he's like running jarring. people over with his car yeah it's jarring yeah exactly um and this this is a great introduction to a new version of Batman that is actually able you're actually able to like get behind it easily yeah. as opposed to like in BVS where he's like 
branding people and like you know that's you know one of the bigger mistakes for sure yeah and i love like to to touch on that just very briefly before we move to spoilers like i love i actually really like the idea behind a lot of snyder's concepts with batman which is the older it's just grizzled, not earned yeah. it's not earned at all it's the older grizzled batman that's fucking done with the world that is is given up on his morals that is an interesting take about batman i wish that there were like two or three movies leading up to that point you know what i mean I agree. and so and that is where this is exciting to me is that i would rather see movies like this where this is this is blade bat runner 2049 <laughs> but the batman yeah. is a neo noir detective film based yeah. on a superhero that a crime fighting vigilante that dresses up like a bat that is a yeah. conflicted human being and it is it is treated with just as enough seriousness as that is mm-hmm. that requires and it's uh it's seven if brad pitt wore a bat costume sure yeah, yeah. um not as only at one point in the movie batman had said what's in the box <laughs> what's in the fucking box <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that, yeah, th- to end my thoughts before we talk about spoilers is I think the movie's really great. I think it's top tier Batman, top tier comic book movie, but I also think that it, it is a awesome foundation. And now we have to spend the next three years of our lives stressed out to make sure that they nail <laughs> the next part, because I would love to see, they, I'm not stressed about the next one. Robert Pattinson says that he signed a three-picture deal with Warner Brothers. Um, so did so, Matt Reeves, if I remember correctly. So the hope is that Matt Reeves is the writer-director for all three of these. He sees his vision through to the end. Um, I hope that there is very little to no studio involvement in these things. Give him all the freedom. Let him be crazy and wild with it. Let him take it in the direction that he wants to go. Yeah. Uh, and I'm curious to see how this Batman grows and how this version of Gotham changes over time. I agree. I agree. I think my last little thing, that's a nice little Ben Affleck reference right there. I know. That um, was why I laughed. <laughs> my last little thing before we talk about spoilers is like, if you're a Batman fan, this movie gives you enough little tiny seeds of potential possibilities for different members of the rogues gallery that is just like biting into a nice aged steak where you're just ready to chew on that shit for a while because it's like you can see a world in which every member of batman's rogues gallery can exist in a matt reeves version which is very exciting to me because the big thing about the nolan movies is we're like uh, they can't do clayface in the nolan movies they can't do poison ivy in the nolan movies like they're too militaristic and stuff like that and it's very exciting yeah agreed okay this is spoiler talk now john and i are going to get into the nitty-gritty details of the batman so if you do not want to have anything spoiled for you or if you haven't seen the film yet please peace out now this review will be here for you when you're ready and waiting um and yeah, it's spoiler time, baby. 
let's start let's start with the big thing for me which is you know we could talk about the directing and stuff specifically later on but in terms of spoilers let's talk about let's talk about rob pat okay i think i think that's the most logical place that i want to talk to you about first is like his his take on batman um and some of the things obviously he's in the movie a ton which in in one of the some of the complaints of the nolan movies is like dark knight has more on-screen time for the joker than christian bale um he is in the bat costume for like 80% of this movie. <laughs> like it's really Batman impressive. Stuff. It's awesome. Honestly. Uh, I think it is fascinating that their idea was to take this concept that was introduced in um, Darwin Cook's ego, which is that there's the Bruce Wayne persona and there's the Batman persona. And in that comic, Bruce is struggling with the balance of the two. And in this movie, there is no balance. He's just Batman all the time. Even when he's Bruce Wayne doing Bruce Wayne stuff, he's extremely emo. He's wearing sunglasses inside because it's too bright outside because he's used to hanging out at nighttime. He's a dick to Alfred. Like, it's great. He's also like super creepy and has no social interactions with Selena because he spends his time spying on people and beating the shit out of people for nights on end without taking a shower. He stinks. You know what I mean? He doesn't get a haircut. Like he's so busy being the Batman that he doesn't get his haircut. It's fascinating, I think. Yeah. But he's also not like the all-knowing Bat God where like in the Justice League cartoons, like Batman just knows everything and is always one-upping people. Like he legitimately makes mistakes and actually like doesn't succeed in stopping the Riddler in this movie. Yeah. Which I think is really cool for building towards the Batman that we know and love that is a billionaire playboy by day, vigilante by night, protector of the city that he cares about with the support from his loving companions like Alfred and Robin and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I liked, I I really, really loved Rob Pat's take. I, I think that um, it's inter- it's funny because like we were driving back from, we were driving back from Columbus um, uh, me and Carly and John Larson, our shout out to John Larson, uh, was in the car and they were all like napping. And I'm just driving, listening to Batman podcasts to like get people's opinions. And as we got closer to home, Larson woke up and he like he was like, you know, I was thinking about the Batman. He's like, I don't think Bruce Wayne or Batman says any line in the movie that's not a whisper or a yell. And that kind of stuck with me because I was like, I was like, yeah, I don't really remember that either. And then like when I was in my second viewing at the movie, um, I was paying attention to that a little bit more. Um, He does have some lines where he's talking in like this level of volume, like a mid-level volume and not like this. He's like, he's talking like this for some of the movie, but like, right. And then he does have like the, what did you do? But like, (laughs) what have you done? (laughs) I really do think that like, that was a conscious decision. I don't think that is like, and I think that you have to, you know, this movie lets you kind of interpret it the way that you want to. It's like a lot of people might come out of this movie and be like, oh, he was just an emo Batman. He just like, he whisper speaks everything or he like is just so emo, but it's like, what is that character? Like, think about that character. Like, 
like you said, he is obsessed with being Batman. He doesn't care about his family's legacy. He doesn't care about his name. He's a total recluse. He doesn't care about the people close to him. It's not until later in the movie where he makes the realization where he's like, I'm not scared of dying, but I'm scared about losing people close to me. Like, I didn't think I'd ever feel that feeling again. Um, yeah. And I think that this is just, I think that, you know, I've heard a lot of podcasts and a lot of people on Twitter say this, but I think that this is going to age very well as a Batman movie. Like, because, okay. you know, if they're able to nail the rest of this series, like this trilogy, whatever it's going to be, I think we're going to look back on this and be like, wow, look where he started. Because, that, and that's the thing is that like the Christian Bale that we know in Batman Begins is pretty close to the Christian Bale that we see in Rises. Uh, there's yeah, a the thing that's interesting about anguish, the Nolan but... movies is, is he spends, Christian Bale's Batman spends most of the Dark Knight trying to find a way out of being Batman. And it's just so interesting to have the dichotomy where this one is literally like he likes being a nocturnal animal that preys on the fear of the criminals in the underworld of Gotham City and is like obsessed with being better and wants like he's writing yeah. notes in his ledgers, which is just so cool as like a comparison to the fact that the Riddler is also keeping notebooks. One of the coolest things about Batman is if you take a look at his rogues gallery very carefully, some of his rogues are, well, what if Bruce Wayne did this after his parents died instead of what he did? Do? And then like, that's what he could have become. Right. So like the paying one is like what Bruce Wayne could have done if he spent his money a different way. Right. And that's a rich kid. What if Bruce Wayne decided to just start mass murdering people? It becomes the Joker, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I know. I agree. I think, uh, the whispering thing didn't really bother me because a lot of the scenes that he does whispering stuff is like him and Gordon are like sneaking into places. Yeah. And like, we have to understand he's still a vigilante like year two. Like, yes, he spends a lot of time in rooms with police officers, but those are all like Gordon's guys for the most part. And like, they seem to be pretty comfortable with him being in there with the exception of the opening scene. But like when they sneak into um, the mayor's garage, for example, him and Gordon are like on the laptop and they're like whispering to each other about the thumb drive and stuff. And it's like, well, it's cause they're not supposed to be in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's a closed crime scene that they're breaking back into. So yeah. Thumb yeah. Drive. Uh, <laughs> oh, this so guy's we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll start talking <laughs> about that here as soon as that, but to, yeah, to put a cap on Robert Pattinson's Batman, um, I wrote this trivia fact down. I think that this is funny. It's just, uh, Robert Pattinson's green test before he was officially cast took place while he was in rehearsals for shooting Tenet in Los Angeles in May 2019. Pattinson had to lie to Christopher Nolan about it, but Nolan, who was no stranger to Batman and Warner Brothers, immediately figured it out. Pattinson said, <laughs> quote, it's funny because Chris was so secretive about everything that to do with his movies, and then I had to be really secretive about Batman stuff. So I had to lie to Chris about having to go to a screen test. I said I had a family emergency, and as soon as I said it's a family emergency, he said, you're doing the Batman audition, aren't you? <laughs> End quote. When Pattinson was told that he won the role for Batman a day before principal photography for Tenet began, he was surprised that Nolan also knew and congratulated them, although Pattinson hadn't told anybody about it yet. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it, 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 so you still haven't seen Tenet, right? I have not. Okay, so... The last Rob Pat movie I saw before this was Lighthouse. Okay. So the character that uh, Pattinson plays in Tenet is uh, so suave and charismatic yeah. that it is so cool to see him in this movie because like in Tenet, he's very 
he's immediately likable. He's like, right. He's smiling a lot. And he's like, he's a guy that you would want to have a beer with. And then in this movie, he's immediately <laughs> he standoffish. Like <laughs> yeah. he's, he's shitty to people around him. He's, he's always seems tired or distracted. Um, he's very like quiet and close to the chest. And I think that that was a very conscious decision. Uh, I think it's just a really cool thing that like the casting department and Matt Reeves were able to find that side of Robert Pattinson. Um, yeah. In the same way that Christopher Nolan, another director of great Batman movies was able to find the suave fun 007 esque uh, acting style out of Pattinson. So I think that this guy is very versatile um, I'm imagining that give his, you hope for his Bruce Wayne in the future. Yes. That was exactly what I was yeah. about to say is that in Tenet, uh, his character does feel, he feels like Bruce Wayne, it like a Christian Bale esque Bruce Wayne, like the Bruce Wayne that hangs out with models to put on that face. Like I'm imagining, yeah. I'm imagining Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne starting to evolve into a bit more of a likable and suave person. That's able to kind of like mingle in the social the social light and kind of like make friends a little bit and be that like millionaire playboy aspect of the character um, while having the dark side that he also struggles with. And I think that that's going to be a probably a really big theme going forward in these movies is that the dual personality, not just between Batman and him, but like who is real Bruce Wayne is versus who he needs to be in public. Yeah. Especially once he meets like Vicky Vale in the next movie or something. Yeah. Right. Very cool. I think it's interesting, like for me right now, Pattinson's clearly the best Batman, but I would say Bale is the best Bruce Wayne yeah, as of right I now. Agree. And then Keaton is like a good middle tier where he has a, a decent balance between the two, but nowhere near as good on both ends of the spectrum as those other two guys are. No, um, I agree with that. And then, and then Clooney is just not good. Yeah. <laughs> He's just not good. Matt Reeves stated that his version of the Riddler was partly inspired by the infamous serial killer, the Zodiac Killer, who operated in California in the 1960s. Jonathan, let's talk about the Riddler. Let's talk about the Riddler. Um, he's the major bad if guy. If you are justice, please <laughs> do not lie. What, what is, is the, the price? price for your blind eye? Uh, yeah, Paul Dano is. Uh, know how much it cost. Yeah, Paul Dano is the Riddler. Um. I love Fucking this cool, interpretation, man. man. So I, interesting. So Terrifying. unsettling. Um, I really like the costume. I like that it seemed very homemade. Like it, yeah, it would, you got it from Army Surplus store, sure, which is yeah. a little spooky. A little spooky. Did you hear about um, the the saran wrap thing? Have you heard about this? Okay. Well, I mean, in the at the end of the movie, there's the whole thing where he's talking with his like Twitch chat, and they're like, "Don't forget your Saran wrap" or something like that. Yeah. So the idea was that like the, some serial killers have like Saran wrapped their bodies so they don't leave any any DNA behind. Oh, uh, okay. And uh, Paul Dano, being the fucking mega weirdo that he is, he, he Saran wrapped his entire body for the first day of filming and realized that like you can't sweat when you're entirely covered in Saran wrap. So he had to he had to give up on doing that for the rest of the shoot. But we are supposed to believe that the Riddler also saran wraps his entire like arms and like head to keep hair from falling in places, which mm. is just crazy. What did you think about like the digital influence where he has like live streams and he's FaceTiming people? It's a it's a really cool, I think, splicing of modern technology 
Yeah, I mean, so I think the coolest thing about the Riddler is the way that he evolves over the movie. Um, yeah, because at the very beginning he is a straight up serial killer, and that's all that you see of him is like that. And in that opening sequence, the second time seeing it, and by the way, I just want to say this right, right, real quick is we saw this in in Gateway. It was fun. It was a good showing. Seeing it in Dolby was fucking yeah. amazing because every bass note is like your chair is rumbling and the sound is everywhere and the the colors on the screen are so vivid. Yeah, I that saw it opening, on a, on an XD yeah an XD surround at us at a Cinemark last night and it also just like looks so much better on a big crystal clear screen. Yeah. And but at the same time, I would have watched this movie on like 40 millimeter if they had it. Oh, like, totally. Totally, totally, totally. Yeah. But yeah, that opening scene is like so terrifying where he like the mayor steps away from like where he's watching the TV and you just see like he's <laughs> like staying there. It's so fucking scary. Uh, it's so unsettling. And I love that that is like the vibe that he puts off for the for the whole thing. But then like, yeah, towards the end he starts to get a little bit more friendly and a little bit more like with the different telecasts that he's doing or the Twitch streams or the YouTube things. Like he's starting First to, followers. Open, yeah. he's getting open a little bit more and it's really, really interesting to see. I think it's a very, it is a, it is a cool juxtaposition to a character like uh, to the, uh, the Christopher Nolan Joker where he's secretive and mysterious the whole time and you never learn anything about him. Yeah. But where if, does he live? Where does he eat? Mm-hmm. He just shows up places. He just yeah. shows up. And that's part of what makes the Joker cool. But what I liked about exactly. this interpretation of the Riddler was that he starts out as this mysterious force. You don't know anything about him. And over the course of time, you start to realize, oh, he's got friends. Oh, he's got a following. Oh, he's, yeah. he's inspiring an the wrong he's, type of people. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, I really like that as we're, what I like about this movie too is that like, it's, I think that it does encourage the audience to play along with the riddles and play along with the the with the the mystery where you're like, where does Batman go next? Who's the bad guy? Who's the rat? Who killed this person? Who where is the oh, riddler yeah. hiding? It's like it's very it's an interactive who is El Rata Alada? Exactly. It's an interactive movie, which I think is a really cool way to take a Batman movie too. And that's a perfect yeah. utilization of Riddler. Like, I mean. And it serves on Jim Carrey should be too ashamed because of himself, dude. Don't even get me started. Like, <laughs> yeah, don't. I mean, I that's mean, a like, campy interpretation. So, but still, like, I think this is such a cool way to stay true to the roots of the character, which is to leave behind these death traps with different riddles that rhyme and like spooky, like homemade stuff. Like that also that all is very, very in line with the Riddler. Um, that I like from like the comics and the, the animated series and stuff. But yeah, I mean, I've never known a Riddler gets... like this before in my time. Well, no, none exists like this. The, the, the darkest Riddler besides this one is the one in the new 52 run, which this movie takes heavily from as well, especially with the third act, which I, I will talk to you about in a little bit. But yeah, I mean, also just like real quick, like let's clear out the lane and talk about the, the Paul Dano Batman Arkham Asylum scene is like up there awesome. with the Batman Joker interrogation scene in the Dark Knight, like hands down. So good. yeah, and it's so it's so fucking cool too because like, and this is one of the there are two things 
there, sorry, excuse me. <laughs> there are two things which I, I teased on the phone earlier with you. We, so going to the Batman in Columbus at opening night, we went to Condado, we had double margaritas, and then we went to the Gateway Theater and I had two <laughs> tall boy IPAs. So I was, I was feeling nice and buzzed for the movie. And I thought that I remembered or heard every single thing in that first screening. I didn't. I missed two pretty big plot details. Yeah. The first, uh, which we can talk about when we talk about Catwoman, I totally missed that she is Falcone's daughter. I totally didn't <laughs> hear that at all. I missed that completely. So when but that came up in the Halloween, so you knew that that existed, right? I, I mean, I sure, but I, like, I, it's been a couple of years since I've read Long Halloween, so I completely forgot that that was like a plot point. Okay. Um, so when that came up in my second screening, I was like, oh shit. I was like, yeah, she's it's the, the daughter. Driving, it's like, literally the, the driving force of the third act. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I guess I totally missed that aspect in the first time. But the second thing that I missed is that during that interrogation sequence, um, he's like, Bruce Wayne. Yeah, Bruce, Bruce Wayne. And he's like, he's the only one we didn't get isn't that awesome and that part so cool is so fucking awesome because you're from that moment one of my favorite moments of the movie is like the whole like holy shit his next target is bruce wayne and gordon looks over and batman's gone and like the audience as the audience you're like oh fuck oh fuck like he knows that he's bruce wayne he knows his identity you're seeing the things in his apartment and then you get to that interrogation scene and you're just waiting for the ice like you're waiting for that candle to burn to the end where you're like how is he going to reveal to the is this going to be the end of the dual identity like batman's in year two of his career and then all of a sudden he's outed jigs up yeah but then you realize that it's the one thing that riddler didn't find out like he didn't know that batman was bruce wayne and that like they he thought that they were working together on this whole thing like he had this psychopathic like like this like uh, kind of like a what do you call it when a paraso he kind of has like a parasocial relationship with Batman. Like he's writing these letters to this guy that he kind of like idolizes. Like he thinks that they're working together, that they're teammates or whatever. It's Such all cool made up concept. in his head, but he thinks that they're going after all these rich autocrats, like these rich businessmen or whatever. And then there's the turn that, and when Batman finally realizes like, he doesn't know that I'm Bruce Wayne. And then the, com- the tone <laughs> completely shifts. It's so fucking cool, dude. It's such a great turn. Um, it's a great use of tension. It, 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 great use of a great use of tension. Knowing what the audience knows about Batman, like you know that it's like a big oh, yeah. deal. And, and oh, my God, I love that sequence so much. And then when when he starts yelling at him and like he's like, "This is all in your head. You're sick. You're mentally deranged." He's like, "No." Oh my God! And he's when he, so he stands up and he's like, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool. It's so well played. And I do think that like yeah, like. You can tell that Dano really took inspiration from. He must have researched a lot into you know serial killers and and the way that these dark like, place to go. And it's a we very should honestly dark place be. We should be grateful that he seems to be doing as well as he is. Honestly, like all jokes aside, because this is a particularly dark real world character that could exist and has existed in our in our past that is not fun to be in the headspace of same with Joaquin. Um, sure. I re- the, after watching it a second time, I liked him even more. Um, unfortunately the Oscars are so snobby, but I would love, I would love for him to be nominated. Honestly, 
and that Oscar yeah. clip is definitely him going to be going. Ave <laughs> the only the, yeah and i i agree like i mean like selfishly like i think that he does enough with the performance to warrant an, an award of some kind because i think he did a great job but he, he he's not given a whole lot of screen time like the, it's a yeah, really it's a kind COVID of a test- thing hmm? when they came back from their covid hiatus they filmed all of his like iphone scenes first because that's like the first like socially distant thing that you can do which yeah. is yeah. Um, but, yeah, but I right. just he's, thought he's that really like, not on screen that much. He's not on screen that much, but for the time that he is given, I would love to know like when, when this movie is eventually out on DVD, like I would love for someone to cut together all of his scenes and see how long he's actually on screen. Because I would, I would wager it's less than 10 minutes. Like, but yeah. like what he does with those moments on screen is so good. And the direction is so powerful. Like, but he never, he it. never, he never doesn't. So like in the Bond movie recently, Rami Malek is barely in the movie and it's not serviced. Well, he, Paul Dano might not be in the movie a lot, but he never feels like he's not presence that's going oh, on. Oh no. Yeah, totally. The like, entire thing about this, this movie is, is what Gordon and Batman say where it's like, this town's a powder keg and Riddler's the match. You know what I mean? Like, he's just like, he is in, he's the topic of the town. Yeah. And when Selena's talking to, to D.A. Coulson, he's like, everyone's freaking out about this Riddler business and they're doing hardcore drugs because of it. And yeah, he's he's got a presence and, and it's really cool. Really yeah, great. I agree. Matt Reeves uh, stated that Colin Farrell's Penguin takes inspiration from the character Fredo from The Godfather. Um, Colin Farrell. He's banging cocktail waitresses two at a time. <laughs> Colin Farrell plays uh, Oz Cobblepot, a.k.a. the Penguin. Uh, we talked about it I earlier. I love that with, they like, call him the Penguin already. Mm-hmm, yep. Uh, crazy intensive makeup procedure. Uh, totally unrecognizable. Doesn't look like Colin Farrell at all. He doesn't sound like him. Doesn't sound like him. It. it I. Uh, what did you think about the Penguin in this movie, man? I. Because I, I just say I loved it. I loved it. He's great. Um. He is also not in a lot of the movie, but the stuff he, I would argue that he's in two of the best scenes. Um, definitely one of the best scenes, which is the, the Batmobile chase. But it's just such a cool take on like Oswald Cobblepot's a gangster. Like when it comes down to it, he's a gangster and they make him like grotesquely deformed without him being like four feet tall and eating raw fish, you know, and he's not like a sewer monster like Danny DeVito. Like, he's just, like, you could see this guy existing in Gotham. And he reminds me a lot of, like, the Arkham games almost, too. Yeah. Um, the makeup looks fantastic. And he has one of my favorite lines, which is, you know, <laughs> what, is he, what does he say? Like, oh, what are you showing me? <laughs> well, they're interrogating him. They're doing good cop, bat cop. and yeah, Good cop, Gordon. bat shit, freaking cop. Yeah. <laughs> what is this? Good? Yeah. And then Gordon is like, you want to tell me about this? And he holds up the photo of like the DA, not the DA, but the, uh, it's the commissioner, the commissioner who has has presumably his eyes and face clawed up and eaten by rats or whatever. And he's like, what are you showing me that for? Come on. (laughs) Yeah. So great. Yeah. It's so great. Um, yeah, I love the penguin. I thought that he was awesome. I thought Colin Farrell stole so many scenes that he was in. 
even when he's not. He has the, this weird relationship with Batman too, right? Which is like, like you know, they're just on the wrong side, but they're never like. He seems kind of into him. Guy. A yeah. little bit. He's yeah. like, he's like, hey, he calls him sweetheart. He lets him come into his own private box with like no guards just to talk yeah. to him. Like yeah. he's very cocky. He's very sure of himself, but he also feel, I, I think that he's got like a, not like a death wish, but he really wants to be, he's like, I'm fine with getting involved with the Batman. He's like, I've, he feels somewhat invincible. Uh, I, I mean, he, it. He takes out a gun and openly tries to shoot Carmine Falcone like in front of like a billion GCPD officers. Like you get the sense that this guy thinks that he's like a god. He's like the god of Gotham. And one of the last shots of the movie is him looking over the bridge, like in the the clubhouse suite or whatever, like looking down on the flooded Gotham. Like he's gonna be running the icebreak lounge by himself now. And I think that like that is such, again like talking about like and that's one of the things we'll touch on here like at the very end of the discussion is like where the movie could go and like predictions. But like, I love the idea of the penguin being like this version's scarecrow. Like he's just kind of ever present and always like a figure that's just hanging out. Like he's always just the gangster. That's one of the cool parts of the animated series is that like the penguin is like, he never really is like pulling these big jobs that get him thrown in Arkham. Like very rarely. Most of the time he's, He's a business proprietor. Yeah, shady stuff happens in the Iceberg Lounge, but he's never involved with it so that he has immunity from the police and from Batman who can't like arrest him. But him and Batman have like this weird relationship where it's like they kind of need each other to feed information off of each other, you know? So I love the fact that he's just kind of like um, Bat- Batman's connection to the underworld and Colin Farrell plays off with him so well where he's like, Hey, don't worry, baby. Mr. Vengeance here. He don't bite. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, it's so good. <laughs> uh, next, I want to touch on uh, Catwoman. Yeah. I want to know how you felt about Zoe Kravitz. What did you think about her in the role? Um, considering that we had had, you know, we've had lots of interpretations of Catwoman, you know, not just including live action roles from like Halle Berry and uh, that doesn't count. Anne Hathaway. <laughs> but talking about like even the animated stuff, like you've been very familiar with the animated stuff. Like how did you like sure. Zoe Kravitz's interpretation of Catwoman? I liked how they, this is, this is definitely on Zoe and Matt Reeves, but I love how they um, embody like the year one version of Selena, where she's like a sex worker who lives in the seedier parts of Gotham. And is just trying to like get money but they're also playing into the long halloween aspect where she's specifically targeting falcone operations to kind of steal money that she feels like she's rightfully owed since she's his illegitimate child i think kravitz and pattinson have really like crackling chemistry in a way that anne hathaway and christian bale did not (laughs) um like I, you know, there are a couple times in that movie where I was like, are they about to rip off the costumes right here and do it in the construction site? You know, like, um, but at the same time, I also just think, I just think she's pretty freaking badass. And, and Kravitz is also just like a really good actress too. Like wonder, wonderful casting. She looks like a cat when she's doing stuff. Like when she like comes down out of the skylight to like crack into the safe and, even when she's fighting people, she like pounces around and stuff. And she's great at riding motorcycles. That's important to be Catwoman, I think. Um, yeah, there, I don't know. I don't want to get too uh, too rated R with my thoughts on on Zoe Kravitz. But yeah, that's good stuff. Good stuff. 
Yeah, I, I liked her. I, I think that she's she's she has some great moments. I think my favorite Catwoman bit from start to finish is where she's wearing the 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 contact lens and is going through the club and like talking sure. to different people. And she has that back and forth with 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 Batman. That was my favorite aspect of it. I actually didn't super love their chemistry and I didn't think that it was mm. it was quick. I thought it was too quick. Like I would have much preferred this movie. Ha- and this is one of my nitpicks or gripes with the movie, which we'll talk about. Um, I mean, we're both of us are overwhelmingly positive on this movie. So like my my gripes, my complaints or criticisms are are very, very few. But I do have a few. Um, one of them is that I just I think that they should have seeded the relationship a little bit more before diving into like having multiple scenes of them like making out like. I just didn't, I didn't feel it. Like I thought that Robert Pattinson was, she is so charismatic. And the way that they decided to take Bruce Wayne's character in this is that he's very subdued and angsty. And so I didn't really feel like he was like super hot and heavy with her. Like, oh yeah, let's make out on top of this fucking GC. No, but you can tell that he's interested by the way he looks at her. You know what I mean? Not like creepily with the binoculars. That scene is tough, but more of just like when they're talking and, and things like that. Um, I agree with you. I think that that is the one part of this movie that is relying on our prior knowledge of Batman, which is just that like Batman and Catwoman have hots for each other. So, yeah. Yeah. They don't take I, much I totally time to buy her attraction to him. She's like rubbing her nails on his face and like all that kind of stuff. And, See, the thing is, is that, and what's interesting is that, yeah, I buy her attraction, but I don't buy his attraction. Like, I think that he sees a hot babe putting on spandex and he's like, oh yeah, let's fucking go baby doll. But like, like her attraction to him, she, he almost has this, like, I don't want this to sound like sexist or whatever, but like, he almost has this like dominating personality over her. Like, even from the very beginning time when they meet, like he bests her in a fight and like still steals the passport and is like, she seemed like a nice girl back at your place. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, Oh shit. Like this guy's dark and knows me and stuff like that. And yeah. Um, yeah. My one, like one of my big criticisms about the movie is that I wish that the movie would have ended a little bit earlier, but we'll talk about the ending, but I didn't super love the whole, the last shot of the movie is her disappearing in her bike over the hill and then him disappearing on his side. Like, I just didn't think that their relationship, I, that was just the one thing I I did not feel like their relationship. I I would have loved it if their relationship was seeded in this movie and then built upon later. But like, I just, I actually felt like they were in love with each other at the end of the movie or conflicted about their love for each Mm. other. But like, I just didn't, I didn't didn't hundred percent buy it. I didn't feel like it was anything like love necessarily but i do think that they're both loners and i, I think they're for there's that one thing where she's talking about like maybe you're a lot more like me than i thought and i think that they're just kind of drawn to their similar interests which is prowling around on the rooftops at night um i loved the last sequence though where she's like i'm actually going to leave like i wouldn't be surprised if she's not in the next one and then maybe comes back in the third one She'll um, be back in the next one. <laughs> Take it to the bank, baby. Well, maybe they keep it under wraps and she shows up like halfway through or something. But maybe. Um, I love that she's going to Bloodhaven. Do you know anything about Bloodhaven? Nothing. Bloodhaven is like the sister city to, to Gotham. That's like a couple miles north upstate. That's where Nightwing runs the show. So like mm. 
Batman, Batman runs Gotham and, and Nightwing is like his essentially like his annexed deputy to take care of Bloodhaven operations. Interesting. So setting the groundwork now for future Gotham installments. Pretty cool. Um, there's a so, great comic comic run too where Penguin moves all of his operations to Bloodhaven because he's tired of <laughs> fucking Batman showing up. <laughs> I could see um, Colin Farrell, hey, I'm moving to Bloodhaven. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I want to talk about uh, I want to talk about uh, one of the trivia facts I missed. I'll insert it here is that Colin Farrell stated that he went to Starbucks to try out his prosthetics and makeup for the penguin for the first time. Nobody recognized him <laughs> despite yeah. a couple of stares from people. Hey, um, can I get a caramel macchiato? <laughs> I also heard rumors that he he method he kind of method acted the role on set like he Matt Reeves and him would have discussions on set and he would respond to Matt Reeves in the penguin voice to like keep up the the role that. while he was on set um imagine just like colin farrell dressed up as the penguin going to the oscars be so that awesome. would be awesome he accepts his award in the penguin oh he yeah walks out on. with the costume department and he's like hey thank you for this award <laughs> um and next up do you have any last thoughts on zoe kravitz's selena kyle catwoman i want to see more i agree i do i think that um i don't want to introduce no her characters smartly but it leaves you wanting more for sure yeah absolutely no respect to anne hathaway because i actually like anne hathaway quite a bit but i think that this is easily the best interpretation of catwoman ever definitely the best interpretation of catwoman although i love the michelle pfeiffer performance for other reasons because that's not catwoman she's literally like resurrected by cats in that movie but yeah she's fun in that movie but she's not really like quote unquote the catwoman from the comics that's an actual cat burglar and stuff yeah definitely zoe kravitz um, uh next up i want to talk about Je- uh jeffrey wright playing lieutenant james gordon um john so what did you think about stellar gordon? casting um this is the one that i was i think we talked about this a long time ago like i was worried he wasn't going to be in it enough because i love jim gordon as a character he's like but the he's second like second in he's like he's the most like, in the movie <laughs> he's like batman's boyfriend in this movie like it's like a buddy cop movie. It is. When at the end, when Selena's like, Who am I kidding? You're already spoken for after she looks to the bat signal. Like, you can interpret that as being like, Yeah, you and Jim are going to be spending more time together. I have no place here. I um, love it, man. He's I great. love that. I love that he also like puts his Jeffrey Wright spin on it where he calls him like man and like, Yeah. Buddy. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. He's like, He's like, I've been with you only two years and you never show me your face, man. <laughs> I hey, love man, when they go into leave. The, uh, the old orphanage and he pulls the gun out and Batman's like, no guns. And he's like, yeah, yeah that's, your that's your thing, man. <laughs> uh, I, so dude, good. I love Jeffrey Wright. I think that Jeffrey Wright is so fucking good in everything he does. Very talented. Um, he is so talented. I think that this is my, I, 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 I love. That's Gordon. Uh, yeah, that's the thing, man, is that I love... He's the best. Maybe this is recency bias. I love Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman is one of the best actors currently working in Hollywood. He yeah, is Zach, genius. what do we say to recency bias? I don't give a fuck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I just love that... The, I love this interpretation of Gordon. I love that he is very immediately friendly with Batman. Like, he immediately trusts him. I love all of the stuff in this movie with, like, there's a theme of like which we can talk about here in a little bit but like the theme of like corruption in the movie is like the riddler's going after corrupt people he's going after 
people that he thinks are morally opposite to him. Like he's the people that are siphoning from the, 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 the poor and like people that are taking advantage of people and people that are drug dealing and, and hurting other people. And like, I, one of my favorite moments in the movie is like, they realize that they're going after the people in the Maroney case attached to Maroney case. And Gordon's like, he's like, shit, I worked that beat or whatever. And he's like, he's not going after you. He's like, why? He's like, because you're a good cop. He's like, you're yeah. not corrupt. It's really so nice. good. Like, I just love, like, I don't think that he's a boy scout because he's obviously ready to like fucking he'll fuck your life up. If, if he gets the chance, Gordon will, but like, Oh, for sure. But he's also like a genuinely good human being. He sees he sees the good that Batman can do. He sees the good that Gotham can be. Like, I, I, I don't know. I love this interpretation of Gordon. I thought it was fucking great. Stem to stern. Oh, yeah. And, like, I love how we don't have to explain that him and Batman have a relationship because that's, like, a that's a relationship that's as old as the comic books themselves. It's just, like, Commissioner Gordon and Batman are allies, and he's the only one that has contact with Batman. And I yeah. just love that people are, like, Hey Jim, your guys are gonna fuck this up. Like they call him like your guy, or like get your guy out of here. Like it's just like he's like the Batman Wrangler <laughs> on the GCPD payroll. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, next up, I want to talk very not very briefly, but next up, next up, I want to touch on is John Turturro is playing Carmine Falcone. Hey, beautiful. <laughs> Don't be a stranger, beautiful. Clearly um, doing a, uh, clearly kind of channeling a Marlon Brando sort definitely. of, <laughs> sort of definitely. performance. I love John Turturro. Uh, it's so funny just imagining this dude is also playing the Jesus, <laughs> which is, that's my problem with John Turturro is that every role that he's in, no matter what it is, I'm always like, ah, oh, you were the Jesus in the Big Lebowski. And that is just so hard for me to he's look terrifying away from. in this movie though. He is a great mob boss. It really, the only, fr- it, it makes sense for the story, but like it does suck that he died because I would have loved to have seen this interpretation of the character continue on, but yeah. it, it works for the story. I just, um, I, I, yeah, I loved him. I thought he was great. I thought he was imposing when he's in there. Um, he's charming too. It's like, you actually get the sense oh, that yeah. you actually might want to hang out with this dude. <laughs> One of my favorite moments in the movie that you and I both laughed at on the opening night was, when Selena goes up to the penthouse, he like walks up and he's like, Hey, beautiful. And it's like, Bolare in the background. <laughs> like he's just listening to listening to Dean Martin records, playing pool with the boys. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That's, I really, that's the whole thing though. Right. Is like, he's the ghost mayor that they all talk about. Like he's running the show and you can see why he's very persuasive. He literally convinced Thomas Wayne to think that he was an ally and that cost Thomas Wayne his life. So yeah really cool really awesome yeah uh last of the real main cast to touch on is uh andy circus played alfred uh what did you think of this interpretation of alfred what did you think of andy circus in the role um he's good he's not in it enough and i think that is more or less intentional um but andy circus is the kind of person that like you're casting him as Alfred and you know that Alfred's going to be in like multiple movies. So exactly. He'll have more to do eventually. So like, I'm not too hung up on that now, but the scenes that he's in, particularly the hospital scene is amazing. Yes. I think that that is his best moment of acting in the movie. Maybe one of the best Andy circus non CG acting (laughs) moments is 
that scene with him and Bruce in the hospital and like him, the, the, the subtleness of the performance when he wakes up after being on like life support and he looks over and sees that Bruce is waiting by his bedside and he smiles with like tears in his eyes. And then it's Bruce like still being trapped in that angsty persona. Like he's like, you lied to me. And like, so sad watching the smile, like fade from his face is like, it's gut wrenching, dude. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then that, I love that that scene then culminates with like the whole, like, I'm scared to like, like, I'm not scared of dying. Like I'm scared to lose people close to me. And then like Alfred puts his hand out and like Bruce actually holds it. And it's like, I'm so glad that there was, they were able to have that moment of honesty and earnesty between these two characters. Like I would have been really, really disappointed if they, that, and that's the best part about this movie is that I think that this Bruce Wayne learns so much. This, this interpretation of Batman is a different person from the beginning of the movie that he is to the end. And it's like, it's great. Like, I love how much he learns and grows and changes as a character. It's like, ah, ah, thank you, movie. Thank you for having character development. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's so frustrating sometimes seeing movies with like, I don't know. It's, it, I think that this movie is, this movie couldn't come out at a better time, honestly, for me personally, because we had just come off of seeing Uncharted, which is like just the <laughs> ultimate cookie cutter movie. Not a bad yeah. movie, but a cookie cutter movie. Where this movie has is just like this is fucking film, man. This is a fucking this is art. <laughs> Uncharted is a product and it's fun, but like God, this movie's just so good. I also like that we get the the death of Thomas and Martha via Alfred, which is that yeah. we don't know yeah. who it is. Yeah, I love that That's line where really he's like cool. he's like He's like, so Falcone killed my parents. And he's like, I'll never know for sure. He's like, it could have been just some guy that was down in his luck that needed some money that killed your parents. But like, cause I'll never know for sure. Like, I love the ambiguity there. Ah, Which is interesting because so cool. it seems like. Are they saying that Bruce was there when they died or that they just died? Well, they, the, the, we know, I don't think we get a definitive answer and maybe they're try- still trying to decide how that works into the overall narrative. Sure. Because at the beginning of the movie, it's like, they have that whole thing where it's like, since the Waynes were murdered during their whatever campaign or whatever, but we don't get the sense to know if Bruce was there. Alfred does say you were just a little boy. Like you were just a boy. You needed a father, but like he doesn't specifically say if Bruce was there or not. Well, and Alfred also says that, that Thomas and Martha were on their way to the police to, to tell them about Falcone. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Maybe we'll find out more eventually, but I like the ambiguity for sure. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, so that's for, that's it for most of the main characters here. Something I do want to talk about is like, I want to talk about the beginning of the movie. Um, I, one of my favorite openings in a Batman movie ever. Yeah. And this is, and something I just want to, you know, I want to dive into really deep here is that Batman comes on screen at the 10 minute mark. Yep. 10 minutes. That opening is fucking great. Um, yeah. It is such a great tone setter. Um, and I'm not even counting, like, I mean, just like the opening opening is great. Like, I love the giant, the Batman title cards. Uh, reminded me very much of the Joker uh, movie with just the giant Joker taking over the screen. Um, I'm not sure if that's, you know, you can read into that what you want, where whatever it is, like the thematic tie, but like, I absolutely loved 
everything in that opening sequence with the takedown of the mayor and, and the Riddler being in his apartment, uh, the subtle tie of like the very beginning, it's like, you've got these guys looking through the goggles and you see this kid in like the ninja costume, but then he's like, he's playing ninja with his dad. And then you get the like, Oh, it's Halloween night. There's this mayoral. There's so much world building in that first two minutes. It is like, it is staggering. You learn so much about what is happening. You learn what time of year it is, what's happening in the political aspect of Gotham, who this person is, what, what is, it's so, it is so rich and deep. And then after the kill, you get the, the duct tape thing. And then it's, it's October 31st. Gotham City. And like, this is the moment where I told you, like when they said that, that was like one of the first spoken lines of dialogue. I, lean forward in my chair looking down at you and I was like oh, I was like we're gonna get long Halloween but you were just like engrossed <laughs> so I didn't see you at all um but yeah everything with the and I, I made the joke earlier that it's like uh blade bat runner 2049 or whatever like it, it it very much feels like blade runner it's a long movie um rainy as fuck rainy lots of neon and like screens and like darkness and stuff like that but the whole opening sequence man and i want to get your take on it but like i absolutely especially seeing it in dolby like and i'm sure it was really good in xd as well but like the the guy they're showing halloween night he's like the city streets are crowded for the holiday weekend and people are dressed up blah 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 blah. and then you get the drop head that goes into the the convenience store and robs it. And then he runs outside. There's the helicopter light on him. And then it goes away and he sees the bat signal. Yeah. And then he turns and looks down the empty hallway. And then there's this shot repeated a couple times of villains and like random thugs looking into shadows and expecting to there. see the Batman. And yep. the, the bass in the theater and the sound mix is like, and you've like, it's like you're like oh, you're like waiting for him to show up out of the shadows, and that's what makes that opening sequence where he walks in at the train robbery so fucking satisfying. But yeah. I don't know. Tell me, I'm rambling. Tell me, what did you think about the opening? At, like, what were your thoughts? It's great. It's like reading. It's like reading an issue of like Detective Comics. You know what I mean? Like he's got his his narration. Like you can imagine just like seeing the little like black or gray like text blobs in a comic book panel, just like. It's October 31st. The city streets are packed for the holiday despite yeah. the rain, like all that kind of stuff. Like it's just so wonderfully orchestrated. It also sets the stage how like fucking terrified the, the city criminals are of the Battinson because he's just going to show up and pummel you and, <laughs> and put you in the hospital. Um, it's terrifying. He's absolutely terrifying. Like, yeah, I love the, I love the, the three different crimes that are going on and like, they're all mirror matched with like looking into the shadows and then eventually like he does actually come out of one of them, which is just so, so cool. And I love how he's like, you could like hear his boots from far away too. It's just like, this is like the Terminator Batman. He's just like, clop, 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 clop. And it comes out of the shadows and you're like, Jesus Christ, this guy's terrifying. I mean, the movie definitely has like a Western tone, like from the guitar, like like the, one of my favorite music cues of the movie which we'll talk about in a few minutes but like i just love he's like the lone gunslinger he comes in here to save the day like he's gonna beat the fucking pulp out of these motherfuckers and like yeah ah, i mean one of the best shots in the movie for me is after he 
flips the penguin's car over like 10 times and penguin's still alive but just the the guitar strung as he mm-hmm. comes out from around the batmobile and just like slowly starts walking over there it's just it looks so, so cool good. and then it gets even better as he like bends down to look into the into the window and he's like hey what's up motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so uh, this is w- the, my last big rant before we talk about the ending and maybe some like c- criticisms or stuff like that. We'll end this guy up. We'll, we'll start wrapping up here. Um, this is, m- this is my thesis on why this movie might be one of my favorite comic book movies of all time. Maybe one of the best, bat- definitely one of the best Batman movies of all time. There is, he- are you ready for this, John? I'm ready. Are you ready to debut a, a, a Zach Radiovania exclusive on this podcast? Yeah. I'm going to coin a term. I'm going to try and coin a term. And I don't know what to call it, but I came up with either film kill streak or movie multiplier. Okay. So, you know, like a kill streak in like Call of Duty or like Battlefield or Halo or whatever is like, you get so many kills that you then get these special things to like employ, like a, you get like a UAV or a, or a, or a cluster strike or whatever you're doing sure. so well that you're able to get the bonus thing or in a multiplier, like in Galaga or uh, stardust or whatever, like you're shooting enough ships and getting your multiplier up your score, or you're like playing Pac-Man and your score multiplier is going up and up and up because you're doing so, so, so well that your, your score is just like raising. Do you kind of know what I mean? I get it. So the Batman has a moment, a chunk of this movie that is a kill, a film kill streak or a movie multiplier. I don't know what I want to call it, but I'm going to try and coin this term because there is a 30 minute chunk of this movie that I think is maybe one of the best bits of superhero movie ever made ever. And 58 minutes into the movie, uh, Bruce Wayne goes to the mayor's funeral. They're walking around the funeral. He sees the penguin and Carmine Falcone get out of the cab. He's able to talk with Falcone and talk about like all of this stuff. And like, who, who are Your you? Dad operated on me on the dining room table. Yeah. Little junior was up there watching the whole thing happen. And then they walk into the funeral. They're, they're going through the procession. They're going up to the altar and you've got these people on either side that are like talking to them. Like all you like later on, you find out that they're Riddler goons or whatever. But like in this scene, it's just like, you're going through the whole thing. The mayor Royale comes up and talks to him and is like, I've been trying to get in contact with your people, blah, blah, blah. He sees the kid that his dad died. He makes that connection. There's the, the exact mirror shot of the kid looking back at him. Like he's Batman. Yep. Then you have, the fucking car crash through the church going up. Bruce Wayne runs, saves the kid. And then you have the entire sequence of the DA getting out of the car with the bomb strapped to his neck with the phone on his hand. And then you have the interrogation sequence of the Batman comes back into the place. He's talking to the guy. They answer the Riddler call. And then it's, if you can answer these three riddles, I'll give you the combination lock. And that's, there's this whole sequence of, what's the price for your blind eye. And then the whole thing culminates with like, wh- like who is the rat or whatever. And he's like, 
he wants you to tell me who the informant is. And then he's like, no, I can't do it. This dude with the bomb around his neck is like, I can't tell you the informant is because he's like, he's like, I'm dead either way. Like he's so My scared. Yes, yeah, exactly. Like that, yeah. So he can't reveal the informant instead. Boom. His head blows up. Batman gets shot back. He's knocked unconscious. He wakes up in the GCPD yep. and then he's, and then they, they have the whole thing with the fight with there. They, and then they have the fake out confrontation with Gordon where they have to do the whole, like, you're gonna have to punch me in the face. You're gonna have to punch <laughs> me in the face. And then he, and then there's the escape from the GCPD. We're still going. This all happens right back oh, to yeah. back to back. They had the, the escape from GCPD, the the grappling shot up the stairwell, and then he runs to the top of the thing, and then he sees the the the, the height of which he's about to jump, and he gets scared. Batman actually gets terrified for his life. Yeah. He straps on the wingsuit. He jumps off. He's flying. It's that claustrophobic shot of him falling. He hits the bus. He rolls off. And then it's the next shot is he's talking on Gordon on the roof. And then he's like, Rata Alada is like a rat with wings. He's like, penguins have wings or whatever. We have to go get the penguin. Then they go to the drug bus at the penguin. They find the drugs. They find the fucking drug outpost. They're like, this was what this whole thing is still going. The whole Maroney case meant nothing. Catwoman comes in. She knocks down those two guys, but then they find in the back of the car, the body of the, the Russian girl, like her friend. And then the oh, shootout. Yada, yada, whatever. The shootout happens. The penguin comes out. The shootout happens. Batman, he goes to find Batman's body. It's gone. And then we fucking get it, which is. And then from the shadows, you see the Batmobile. And then the Batmobile like runs flames. Up. Yeah. And, and then there's, and then they get in the cars or whatever. And then it's the fucking best fucking car chase of all time it is the fucking the batmobile is like a fucking mad max fury road like tumbler it's like it is the craziest car chase they're doing all sorts of this shit he's playing chicken on the other side of the highway and then there's the whole thing the penguin hits the car over all these semis go over on top of each other and then the batman hits the fucking mass and then he goes <laughs> rides up the goddamn thing out of the fire hits the penguin's car the penguin's car rolls and flips and flies up and then there's that shot of the batman walking out of the car walking up to the penguin's car and then even after that it keeps fucking going because then then there's the interrogation between batman and gordon and the penguin and they're talking to each other penguin isn't the rat they find out he's not the rat and he helps them solve the el rata a lot of riddle which is like the whole masculine feminine pronunciation they're like a falcon a rat with wings it's like falcon is also a rat with wings or whatever and or does they, the url url that's right the yeah they figure thing. out the url yeah. thing and it's like url rata alada it was like a bat is a rat with wings and there's like url and they type the thing and then they find the riddler was an orphan they go like orphan question mark or whatever and then they go to the wayne orphanage they see the whole thing about the thomas wayne and then it all culminates that entire fucking this chunk of the movie culminates with holy shit his next target is bruce wayne and alfred and, blowing up yeah and then yeah, he drives in his car and he's like <laughs> trying to get a hold of Alfred. And 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 then like, I've been trying to get a hold of you. Something bad is already. Ha-. He's like, I'm I'm scared something bad's gonna happen. He's like, something bad happened. It happened about thirty minutes ago. And then the, he sees the top of Wayne Tower and it's like the smoke is billowing out of it. And John, Jonathan, this is this chunk of the movie is like fucking nonstop from oh, that great. beginning from that funeral sequence to that ending sequence of like, yeah, you're right with the whole, the, the explosion of the, the package that offer gets sent. This movie is just 
nonstop. And this is, this might be one of the most rewatchable sequences in, I'm going to fucking say it. I'm really high on this movie, but this might be one of the most rewatchable sequences in movie history for me. Like this whole sequence is just fucking perfect. It is 10 out of 10. Perfect. I love it. Yeah, it's it's one of the and it's in the middle of the movie too, which is sometimes really hard to do is like make the middle of the movie compelling. Like an hour in. This whole yeah. sequence takes place an hour in, and from the beginning of that funeral to the end of this sequence, I think it's only like 30 minutes, 35 minutes. But that 35 minutes is like if that was an episode of an HBO Max series, it would be the it would be the best episode of television ever made. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't know, dude, like, I, let's talk about, I mean, like, if there's anything in that little blurb that you want to talk about, but again, like I was saying, film kill streak, movie multiplier, this is like, I think movie multiplier summed up beautifully by you. I have no comments. Like, those are all just like, it just like keeps adding, and adding, and adding, your, and, adding yeah. and adding. And it's like, you can see the high score in the screen, the end of the screen. It's like times a thousand times, 2000 times 5,000. It's like, yeah. it's like, yes. And it's like, you're, you're you're winning all the tickets at Dave and Buster's. It's like, it just keeps going and going and going. It is like, and that part of the movie was when it was right at that sequence with the whole, um, the Batmobile chase where it's like, that is one of the best things in a superhero movie that I've ever seen. And I was, I had to turn over to Larson. I was like, this is so fucking cool. Like, yeah, I, I was on cloud nine, man. I love it. I think, I think the movie has multiple sequences like that too at times as well. Like uh, you get towards the end, like you have the confrontation with Falcone, brings him out, he dies. They go and look in the Riddler, and then it that scene goes with, "Hey, Gordon, somebody just saw somebody walk down the fire yeah. escape, and he walked across the street to the diner. He's sitting at the counter alone oh, by yeah. himself." They swarm the cafe, push the Riddler's face in the counter, and then he sees Batman in the window, and he fucking smiles, and it's just like. <laughs> like it's so so good he's like yeah there's great i just ordered a piece of pumpkin pie <laughs> slam on the counter yeah i mean do you want like I, I touched on it because in my movie multiplier thing but like that fucking chase scene dude it's that is cinematic that is yeah. cinematic bliss like i don't care how convenient it is with the semis falling over each other and the ramp perfectly makes its appearance it's like that is so choreographed so well. And the whole, and it's I, really got too. I got Joe. And, and that's all practical too. Like Matt Reeves did come out afterwards and say like, yeah, we actually jumped the car through flames to get that <laughs> shot. It is so fucking good, dude. I, oh my God. Like I want to yeah, watch love, it right I now. Just talking put... to you. I'm about to find a, a one o'clock screening in Oakley and just go see this fucking movie again. I loved it so much. The uh the way that they strap the cameras like the sides of the car or like yeah positioned inside the car that you can see the rear view mirror and see a Batman like driving behind you. Really cool. Really great. Definitely my favorite Batmobile chase of all time, for sure. Agreed. Um yeah, should we talk about the where where things get left off a little bit? Yeah, I think I definitely think that we should touch on we don't have to talk about every little bitty detail, but like the the I think that where you talked about was a good stopping point. We like to talk about the interrogation and about the ending of the movie, because, you know, that is an interesting place where we, we set up the climax of the movie. So how did you feel? 
I think we both already said we loved the interrogation sequence. That stuff was really, really cool. How did you feel about the very end of the movie, which is Batman going back to the apartment, finding, you know, the cop tells him about the carpet tool. He finds the plan of the bombs. The bombs go off the flooding of Gotham city and I like love the, all the of aspect the end of stuff. the seawall. Yeah. Like when you rewatch the movie too, um, when Riddler kidnaps Colson to strap the bomb to his neck, you can, as it zooms out and you can see like the bright lights in the car, you can see how close they are parked to the seawall and that the seawall is like almost full because of all the rain. Like there's a great um, comic book in the new 52 run called zero year, which is where the Riddler, um, the Riddler floods the city and it becomes like this wasteland jungle territory with like water everywhere. And like all different rogues are running different parts of the city. This is also very reminiscent of a different Batman storyline called no man's land where the United States government writes off Gotham as a war zone. And they're just like, it's an independent state and they're not going to get involved with it anymore, which is really interesting for what they could do with the sequel. But I actually kind of like the third act a lot. It's very real world spooky to me with the the mass shooters and shit but i think it's it's staged really well and the choreography is really cool especially like he's like hanging from the the jumbotron in in gotham square garden and he puts the detonator on the gas tank and it causes this bunch of smoke everywhere yeah that shot of him jumping out of the smoke to tackle that guy is just so fucking cool like it's just great um yeah uh so one of my one of my nitpicks is like and they kind of address it in the movie but they're like this isn't like a they're like oh go to the last shelter like they're encouraging people to go to this like this basically disaster shelter which is gotham square garden but it's like a downward stadium it's like a hockey stadium it's an arena still it's an arena so it's like the water just eventually does go down to the middle of the thing. It's like, eh, that might not yeah. have been the best place for them to go to, but they do say the mayor it's does the have a line where she's like, city. Yeah. but she does have a line where she was like, this place is meant for like hurricanes or, or like not for floods, not for floods. And so like, yeah, it seems like this is also an oversight of the, the government of Gotham that they don't have like a place in case the seawall busts. They're just pushing these problems to the side. And that's kind yeah. of like what, makes these that's the, well that's the problem with the renewal fund right is thomas wayne talks in his campaign about how they want to put allocate funds from the renewal fund to strengthening the seawall but then we find out later that falcone and other members of the elite of gotham have been diminishing the, the billions of dollars of the renewal fund for their own endeavors so that's why like infrastructure has not been improved it all is like very methodically thought out by Matt Reeves, which is just like another reason why he's so genius. But yeah, seriously. What did you think about the scene of him injecting himself with Bane venom? And that was another one of my things. I didn't love that. <laughs> that was one of the only things that I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah. Is that so that was my thing I wrote down. I wrote Batman's stim pack venom. Is this Bane venom? What is this supposed to be? I think it's very clearly green for a reason looks like Bane Venom to me, which is interesting that Matt Reeves continues to be like some of these rogues already exist in some form or the other in this world. I love the idea of like Rob Pat met Bane in one of his first years and like replicated his own formula as like a, a last resolve. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just yeah. I just, I, I didn't it's, love it. I just didn't love that his last, like the last ditch effort for him to like, 
keep fighting was that it was just like a medical stim pack. Like, I just thought that that was one of the only things I was like, we could have maybe wrote this differently. But again, like maybe that's one of those things where it's like due to the lore of the universe that that might be strengthened later on down the road. I, I, I just don't know. Yeah. I also just think it's showing that like this man is willing to make himself into an animal to be able to keep fighting, which is kind of interesting. Um, but we got to talk about one of my favorite parts of the movie, which is actually in the end of this sequence, the Batman igniting the bat flare and leading people out of yeah. the arena, which then cues the second needle drop of something in the way by Nirvana as he something. is helping people out on the roof. I my one of my favorite moments that makes me like extremely giddy and like pleased with the movie is that he's like loading that person in the in the gurney that's going to get airlifted with the helicopter and the person like reaches up and grabs him and like doesn't want him to let go and he like it like very quietly like does that reassuring batman thing and you're like this is like this is batman like he he is now like i'm here to help these people yeah as opposed to only helping them by beating the shit out of people that are yeah. doing wrong and i love the the whole part where he's like turns out i have had an impact on this city um, it's just like a great bookend piece to like the two different monologues that he gives. Yeah. And so sick. Yeah. It's, it's cool because like, and this is, you know, really the last thing that we can really touch on is um, the ending of the movie and what it sets up for the future is that this whole movie, the, uh, the production name for the movie, like, you know, how they have like secret production names, the nickname for the movie was just called vengeance. Yeah. And that idea of, not just what vengeance means in a literal sense, but like what he thinks that he is from the beginning of the movie completely changes at the end of it, where it's like, I am vengeance is the first words he speaks in the entire movie as Batman. And then you have Catwoman calls him vengeance, like in a cute C sort of way. She's like, come on vengeance or whatever. And, and the then penguin. like Mr. Vengeance, Mr. Vengeance. Yeah. And so it's like, he's, he's known in this universe in this movie as like being this like dark, vengeance has a connotation with being a very dark terminology and then at the yeah. very end he's like he realizes that he needs to be like a symbol of hope for be more he needs to be yeah. more for these people like the the scene of him like you said yeah he he takes the bat wing off of his chest and cuts the power line so it shuts the lights off and stops the electricity from shocking the water and then he falls in he pulls the flare and then he's like yeah. helping people up one by one from the so fucking cool. like things and the first person that takes his hand is the mayor the mayor's son and then there's the new mayor that takes his hand and then he starts leading them out of the place and then yeah it's like him carrying bodies up to the thing and then like watching them be airlifted off that's where i thought the logical end of the movie should have been was that last shot of him like looking up at the sky as they airlifted that person away but yeah. then instead we get the ending of the movie, mm -hmm. which is my, I think my biggest criticism of the movie. Um, yeah. It's a little return of the King esque, which is like trying to find the best place to end it for sure. So. Um, I'll, I'll read this part here. <clears throat> the Batman has a deleted scene where Robert Pattinson met that villain says Matt Reeves. Uh, when talking to Collider steep, Steve Weintraub, uh, Reeves discussed a deleted scene from the Batman that would have made Keegan's, Keegan's character more integral to the film. 
On the deleted scene, Reeves said, quote, there is a scene that I would have loved the audience to see that I didn't put in, not because anyone asked me to cut it, but because I didn't think that within the larger narrative it worked, that it was necessary. But it was a really cool scene that with some, with some unseen prisoner in Arkham. There was an earlier scene where Batman, because he's getting these cards and letters from the Riddler, and he's thinking, why is this guy writing to me? I'm supposed to be anonymous, and he's putting a lens on me. I don't like that. And so he goes to kind of profile this kind of similar kind of serial killer. Quote, and you see him meeting with somebody who's obviously a serial killer himself, who, because Batman, it's not Batman's origin, but it's the origins of all these other characters. You're seeing a version of this character who, yes, when you see that unknown prisoner, you're like, well, gee, I think that's who that is. Well, that is who that is, but he's not yet that character. Um, so a, another piece of casting, Barry Cogan, uh, who plays most recently, he plays, um, he's in the Drake. Eternals. Yeah, Druig. Druig in the Eternals. Uh, he's sucks. also in Dunkirk. <laughs> One of my favorite lines in the Eternal. Um, but on IMDb, he's listed as unseen Arkham prisoner. Um but in the movie, it is pretty clear that he is the Joker, um, mm -hmm. that uh, Paul Dano's Riddler is having a discussion with him. He talks about he's like, what's that phrase they say is like one day you're on top, the next you're a clown. He's like and he says something. He's like, he's like, you know, what's more valuable than riddle me this? He's like, what's the less of it you have, the more valuable it is a friend, friend. And then yeah. they laugh together as it pans out of Arkham and. I like the concept of this scene. I think this would have worked better as a post-credit sequence and not part sure. of the actual movie. Correct. Uh, I also seeing it in Dolby. I think this looked, this actually looked better when we saw it in gateway where it was, really? darker. but seeing it in Dolby with like the colors, very bright and the darkness, very contrasted seeing the way that the Riddler, the, the Joker looked in that cell. I wasn't feeling it. I thought, wasn't that, he? Because when I saw it, it looked like he was almost like two-faced. Like it's like his, his face is like exposed. His face looks kind of deformed, but it looks like his cheekbones, it's cut up to his cheekbones. And so his yeah. like smile is like permanent. Yeah. Um, I just think that this scene was clunky. I don't There's think a way it that to this be here. Is, the way that this is constructed, though, they can change it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they could change what a Joker looks like going forward, which is kind of convenient. Exactly. And I think that that's why they shot it the way that they did shoot it. I am really glad that Reeves didn't include that scene with Batman going. I like the idea of Batman being like a serial killer is, is killing people in Gotham. I need to talk to a serial killer I've put away. So he goes to talk to Joker. Yeah. But I, I think that that would have complicated stuff. I like that the movie yeah. is what it is. And I just think that this scene should have been either. I would be so 120% down if the entire Matt Reeves Bat trilogy the Joker is never able to break out of Arkham because in this universe Batman caught the Joker before he becomes like as renowned as he is but he continues to go visit him in Arkham so like he's involved in the movies in the same way the Penguin is but he's never like the main villain would be really interesting like they just go in there and like it's a killing joke. Like he just goes and talks to the Joker every now and then. And Joker's just like playing solitaire on the table. And like, you know, you get like a couple, like two, two minute scenes thrown in there would be really interesting. But because this is Warner yeah. Brothers, they're going to have to do a Joker movie eventually. They might not have to do a full on Joker movie, but I could easily see the Joker being a penguin esque character where he's not the main build bad guy, but like, 
I would love to see hit like an escape from Arkham, a like it he complicates the second half of a Batman movie and it isn't the driving force. Do you know what I mean? I think that, that would be a cool yeah, like like Batman's like almost close to stemming like a game exactly. turf war in the next movie, and then it's like Jim's like, We got some bad news. Uh there's a mass breakout at Arkham. And he's like, what about inmate? Blah, 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 blah. And he's like, yeah, sorry, old buddy. He got out. <laughs> it's like, fuck. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. But yeah. So that was one of my big criticisms is that I just, I, on second reviewing, I just, I don't like this scene. I think that this scene is not my favorite thing. I, I just think that it could have worked least way better. Movie. It, wor- it could have worked way better as a post-credits tease. And then following this is the Batman Catwoman sequence where, not as bad, but also not the best ending. Yeah, I just didn't love this. I just didn't love this ending. Like you, you saying Return of the King, like I kind of get that. I think that the natural end of the movie is the end of Pattinson's monologue and looking up in the sky and that shot of him like all dirty with like all these people around him. That's the end of the movie to me. And everything else after that should have just been like post credit stuff. Yeah, and maybe it was at one point and then they changed it. Maybe. To but- be different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the, that is the Batman. Yeah. Do we get any questions on the Gmail? Uh, let me open up the Gmail. Oh, we did. Look at that. Got some mailbag questions, huh? We did. All right. So uh, thank you so much for writing into Radiovania show at gmail.com. We've got some questions here from McKaylee. Uh, the first question was, do you find it interesting that this movie chose to vilify the Wayne's Arkham family instead of leaving Bruce's family as a spotless memory? I dug this a lot, actually. I think this is one of the things that we had talked about beforehand that they were probably going to show a little bit more of a seedier version of the Waynes. I love that they showed the um, mentally unstable Martha, Martha Arkham very interesting take on the character but it's it's cool because it shows that bruce doesn't know everything about his parents as much as he thought he did and that he had this pedestal version of them that he's been fighting for he loses faith for a little bit and then that sets up the alfred scene where he's able to get that reassured which i think is really important for establishing that character relationship right this is one of our predictions going in was that we yep. we predicted that the the Waynes were going to be shitty people, which is a concept from I rewatched Joker last night. Uh, and uh, Thomas Wayne's such a douche in that movie. He's a he's a big old D bag. And I really like that concept. I like the concept of the Waynes being like a little seedy under the surface. And I actually kind of dig this quite a bit. I think that this is a concept that they'll continue to flesh out because well, I just also like that that like they, they're not saying that Thomas Wayne's an asshole all the time in the same way that he is in Joker. But Alfred like, says he made a mistake. He made mistakes. Yeah. I like that he's, he's not like infallible, which is really cool. Yeah. Um Kaylee also asked can the superhero genre at large, particularly the Batman franchises, ever go back to a lighthearted rendition or has the character been irreversibly altered? I think this is a great question, Kaylee. Thank you so much for asking. That is a um, good question. I think we touched on it a little bit like I think we did. It's going to be really hard going forward in live action films to do it's particularly like solo Batman movies to do like a even like a Michael Keaton or an Adam West type of lighthearted romp. Yeah, I don't I don't know if they can go backwards with that. 
they clearly can't even do that with Daredevil. Like <laughs> that Netflix show is essentially a Batman show. Like, yeah, I'm curious to see how Moon Knight pans out because Moon yeah, Knight has the too. potential to be the first MCU thing that could be as brutal as this, but I still don't think it'll even. Touch no, 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 no. It won't be. Yeah, it won't know, be this at all. I'm going to say no, that it can't. What about you? I'm going to say, like I said at the beginning, I think that the beauty of cinema is that you can take characters in different directions in different aspects. So like, like I said, with the whole Lego Batman or the DC Super Friends thing, like if you have a movie, like if maybe one day, and I'm just, this is a, I'm dream pitching this right here. If Phil Lord and Chris Miller did a, animated style Batman movie that was like in the similar style to Spider-Verse, I think you could have a more campy or funny Batman movie that's a little bit more lighthearted. But I think where we are, I think that honestly, it's a lot like discovering a fossil, like or discovering a an element. We've found what Batman works the best in film in like a in a two plus hour theatrical feature film. I think that he works best in this sort of light in a grounded, gritty detective story. And that's something we didn't really touch on is that like, this is the most detective Batman's ever been. Like, I I mean, I loved it. Yeah. And this is a wet dream for Batman fans that have always wanted him to be the world's greatest detective. Like in this movie, he straight up just solves crimes. It's great. Um, I don't think you get that in a lighthearted aspect or that's not the character that we know now. And so I think that for the Batman or for for Batman franchises to ever go to a lighthearted rendition, I think that it needs to just be presented in a different format. Whether yeah. that's animated or whether that's like an Elseworlds tale, whatever it is. I mean, we're about to see the 89 Batman show up in a Flashpoint movie, which is going to be more lighthearted and funny. Like that's just what we've come to expect from the DCEU. So right. we'll see if that can work in a, in a, in a few months. Like honestly, cool. like I told this, I talked to Kaylee recently and I, I like told her, I was like, even <laughs> I said, even if every DCEU inner movie after this is like dog shit, like I got what I wanted out of this movie. And like, exactly. I'm good. Yeah. yeah. I'm set. <laughs> I'm riding high on this one for at least a few years, for sure. Oh, for sure. Until um, the next one. Yeah. The last question that Kaylee asks is, if not the Joker teased at the end of the Batman, what is the best choice moving forward for a villain in a possible sequel? Um, you had a great point about this when we left the Batman and we were drinking at the beer, beer stube. Um, I would love to hear what you have to say. Gotham's underwater. Uh, what happens in the water when it gets really cold, Zach? Nice to meet you, Batman. <laughs> I would love to see Mr. Freeze. I would. Um, Kaylee brought up a really interesting theory, so I'm going to give all shouts to her. And this Shout probably why she asked this question. She said, how cool would it be if in a Mr. Freeze setup, we find out that his experiment to cryogenically freeze his wife got interrupted because of the seawall breakage. Oh. And so Mr. Freeze is out for vengeance on everybody because of Nora's death. That That's would be cool. Sick. That would be sick. Um, nice call, Kaylee. That's a good call. I like isn't that. Isn't that great? That's very really <laughs> great. I would also love to see Mad Hatter. I think would be really cool. In a, in a Batman world where drops and drugs exist, I would love to see a version of the Mad Hatter or the Scarecrow that starts like infecting the drug trade in Gotham. And people start like hallucinating and stuff like that would be really cool. 
Yeah. Those, those are going to be some of my picks. I think freeze is the best possible direction to go. Like you said, like it's also the one Matt freeze wants to do the most. It sounds like. Yeah. And freeze has never been done in this style before. And I think that it gives a lot of freedom and opportunity for Matt Reeves to kind of mold that character the way that he wants it to go. Yeah. Uh, I also think Mr. Freeze is maybe the most underrated Batman villain of all time. I just Heart think- of Ice, best episode of the Batman in the animated series. Um, Nora. <laughs> Monica. <laughs> M- Menage. <laughs> um, I also get, do think- Can that- we get job role to play uh, Mr. Freeze? Oh my God. <laughs> and Ja Rule as Mr. Freeze. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in addition to Mr. Freeze, I think that in a sequel to this with where they've set up the bat and the cat, like the romance between the two of them and where they are in a relationship, I think that bringing Poison Ivy into the sequel would be really awesome. Um, could especially you if they Ta- take this. Could you do Talia without doing Rachel Al Ghul? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know enough my, about Talia Al Ghul and Rachel Ghul, but like. That's my favorite love triangle of all time is Batman having to choose between a, a world renowned assassin, sex goddess, and fucking Catwoman. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Um, I Poison love. Ivy, Poison Ivy done well. Can you imagine if Matt Reeves made a Mr. Freeze Poison Ivy movie, which the last time that was tackled was Batman and Robin, and it's like good? That, I mean, like, that would be the ultimate, like, the ultimate one up in cinematic history is that if he's able to do that and make it work well. Um, yeah. But yeah, I love his poison Ivy dude. Get inject that into my fucking veins. I, I <laughs> Emma stone is poison Ivy. I don't care. I, I that's my dream casting. Uh, I love her. I love her and everything she does. She's my hero. Um, but yeah, I would love to see poison Ivy done really, really well. And like you were saying, and I did some like looking up online, but like zero year, is like the whole thing where the city's like overtaken by like weeds and plants and stuff like that. Perfect like set up. Yeah. I can also see an aspect of that where it's like, well, certain aspects of the city have been frozen over by the freeze who's been doing like experiments, but then certain aspects of the city have been jungleified or whatever. Like I would love so for like, the next. It's like overgrowth and tundra. And in the middle is the iceberg lounge and penguins. Yeah. Like, oh, what's going on here? <laughs> Come on, baby. Let's go. Yeah, if we don't get the bat boat in the next movie because of the town being underwater, I'm gonna be pissed. So, <laughs> Matt Reeves, the bat boat is just like a it's like a jet ski. <laughs> yeah, All right. Those are good questions, though. Those were very good questions. Thank you, Kaylee, for writing in. Remember, as always, fans out there, you can write into Radiovania Show at gmail.com with your questions or theories or anything, and we will read them on the air. No ifs, ands, or buts. Remember, we get zero emails so any emails will get read <laughs> so send them in yeah <laughs> we work for tips i'll be here all night tip your waitresses radiovania has left the building um <laughs> so yeah i do you have any lingering thoughts on the batman should we so let the last thing we should do is um i have my list pulled up me too and uh I don't know where I want to put it. <laughs> I'm having a really hard time. I know where I want it to be. I'm locking it in right now. This is all subject to being able to change as time oh, goes yeah, on. Oh, yeah, these lists are malleable. Especially with sequels and stuff. But for where it stands right now, after seeing it twice, I can just tell you that this is going to be one of my favorites that I want to rewatch. So I got it locked in my spot. Tell me. You want me to go first? Yeah, because I still need some time to think. 
So I think I have it at a spot that is, has a potential to rise or fall, but I doubt it will fall, but it has a potential to rise. Um, I have it in my top 10 for sure. Um, I actually have it in my top five. I currently have it as four. So currently my top five is the dark Knight, Spider-Man into the spider verse, Logan, the Batman, and then Thor Ragnarok at number five. This movie is up is is actually up to the hype. Um, easily S tier in terms of our rankings. That we easily S tier, yeah. Here's my problem: is that here's my <laughs> top, here's my top, here's my top seven. Is number one Avengers Endgame, number two Sorry. The Dark Knight, number three Infinity War, number four The Suicide Squad, number five Logan, number six Into the Spider Verse, number seven Batman Begins, and then number eight is Civil War. Leaving I think this, this is better than Suicide Squad. That's my here, here's my thing is that like leaving leaving the bat leaving the Batman. I told you I was like I think it's my second favorite Batman movie of all time. So I think it's below the Dark Knight, but better than Batman Begins. But Ooh. on this list, I'm looking at it. I think I like this movie better than Spider Verse, and I it's more it's more what I'm looking for out of a comic book movie. Spider Man into the Spider Verse is the best Spider Man movie, but it's also a comic booky com- funny comic book funny genre bending movie logan is serious and depressing and dark but it's also the culmination of a bunch of movies the suicide squad is maybe the best superhero comedy of all time and this is maybe the one of the better like comic book movies of all time so like right now i'm having the battle is do I think it's better than Logan or do I think it's better than the suicide squad because i, I think i'm if- about to put it over batman begins I definitely put it over Batman Begins. My top 10 right now um, before this was at number 10, Mask of the Phantasm. Number nine was No Way Home. Number eight was Batman Begins. Seven was The Suicide Squad, Guardians, Endgame, Ragnarok, Logan, Spider-Verse, Dark Knight. So it's getting wedged in there and it knocks Phantasm out of the top 10. Oh. Oh my God. I currently don't know if I could say that the Batman is better than Logan. I don't know if I've seen it enough. Um, but I think it could easily jump up to just being number two right behind the Dark Knight. And then depending on how the sequels go, who knows? Yeah, that's my problem is that like... Uh... I don't think this is... A, the people that already that are already saying that this is better than the Dark Knight, I don't know if have they fully thought things through because the Dark Knight is a transcendent film. Um, but it could get there depending on how well it ages. Right now, The Dark Knight has aged incredibly well because of the Ledger performance. I think I'm putting it at number five. Okay. I think I'm putting it above Logan. Yeah. Here's what I'm doing right now. And again, like lists are, lists are subject to change. Time changes everything. But right now, I think I'm putting it above Logan and below The Suicide Squad because... I think the Suicide Squad is just a, such a well-rounded comic book movie that's funny and heartfelt and exciting and rewatchable. And the Batman is awesome, but it's also emotionally draining. Um, and I've only I seen it twice. I think it's hype. I think it's so hype. <laughs> I think the that that movie multiplier moment that I talked about, that chunk of the movie in the middle is hype. 
but there's a lot of this movie that is very somber and very um, quiet and reserved. And it makes those moments that are hype stand out. But like, I feel like I, I would, if you asked me which one I wanted to re after talking about it with you for three hours. Yeah. I would love to go rewatch the Batman right now, but like on any given Sunday, like, the Suicide Squad is a movie I can put on and just laugh and enjoy and be like, oh, so fun and exciting and funny and heartfelt and stuff like that. And the Batman is it's an experience. It's a lot like Blade Runner. It's like if you're going to watch the Batman, you kind of have to reserve a whole evening. But again, Point. this list could change. Things could change around. I don't really know. It's it's difficult, like. I'm just, I'm crazy. I think it's crazy that I, I, hopefully this movie doesn't diminish over time for me because like leaving the Batman for the first time and then seeing it a second time, I was like, man, this movie is just climbing up the rankings for me. It's so hard. Like, I think it is such an achievement. I think they did such a great job for it. Um, I guess the last question before we get on out of here is what would you rate it on the Radiovania scale? Do you have a, do you have a, do you have a ranking in mind? Where would you rate it on the scale? Nine five. I would also give it a nine five. There's a couple of couple of third act things that keep it from being agreed a masterpiece, if you will. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Thank you all. For tuning in to this uh, bat cast oh, of Radio Vania. This cast was almost as long as the Batman. <laughs> we, uh, we have not crossed the runtime of the Batman, and so we're going to call it here, baby. Um, yep. Thank you for listening in. You can follow us at Radio Vania on all the socials, except for Insta, where we are at Radio Vania Show. At G- uh, and then you can go to RadioVaniaShow at gmail.com to submit your questions. Go to RadioVania.com to see all of our old episodes. Like us, subscribe, give us a five-star rating. If you feel like supporting us with a tip, all of that money goes right back into producing the podcast, whether that is sponsoring the domain, whether that's going into new audio or production stuff. Um, we appreciate every little bit of support that you guys throw our way. I hope you enjoyed the Batman. We enjoyed talking about it. Um, we will be back in a little while. Uh, we'll probably sneak in another fast cast episode here in the next week or so, maybe next week and a half or so. Uh, but beyond that, we're kind of just now it's now it's gearing up time for a little bit of that Doctor Strange action. You know what I mean? It's a little ways away, but yeah, we could start to work towards that. That's really the next big thing, right? I mean, what's beyond what's other than that coming up? The Oscars, I guess there's the Oscars cast, but like Fantastic Beasts in April. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. All right, John, thank you so much for joining me on this Batcast. I had My such pleasure. a fun time. It was great. It was great. Before Love we talking, end talking the Batman. Before we end this, give me a the Batman quote to end this episode. From your secret friend. Who? Let's play a game, just me and you. <laughs> <laughs>